Hey, before we get started with this episode of Cinema Excelsior, just a special thanks to Brian Stuckey, who pledged money to support us on Patreon. If you want to pledge as well, you can go to patreon.com slash stoutbot. That's patreon.com slash S-T-O-U-T-B-O-T. Enjoy. Oh, that's, uh, m- m- Mudman. <laughs> ice. Muck. Ice Nope. Muck. Muck, that's it. Yeah, that's what I said, muck. I'm going to turn off this click track. <laughs> Mudman. From Mudman. Yeah, that's uh, Lightning Rat. Squirtle. Squirtle. It's Squirtle. I know Squirtle. I only know the uh, the first series of Pokemon. Well, this is this oh, well, co- these cards only come to... Dust, Butter- Dust Moth. <laughs> Butterfree. Uh, nope. That is not Butterfree. Butterfree has uh, oh, has spots right, on its right. wings, right? Uh, no. So I'm going. I'm going with Mothra then. I think nope. you nailed it. Oh, we can't move on until Mothra. you remember the name of this Wait. one. Derek, did you say you only know the first three? No, the uh, first like series. Like I only the only Pokemon that I know are from the first like series of a hundred and whatever. Well, that's what these are Pokemon. from. These are all first generation. Yeah, oh, but I don't know. first generation. Yeah. Okay, yeah. then I don't remember. I don't know what the uh, <laughs> Pinsir. Nope. No. Pincer. Wait. Is it Pincer the name of one? I don't think so. I don't know. Uh, Bumblefuck. Bumblefuck. That's right. I do not remember it all. Bumblefuck. Nailed it. What? Bumblefuck. (laughs) Dusty Moth. Oh, uh. Oh, shoot. I should know this one. Dratini? Dratini is right. Yellow. Yellow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh. Uh, Arcanine. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I, I do not remember any of this. This is, Ven- this is Venomoth, by the way. Venomoth! Venomoth. Yes, of ah. course. <laughs> Yellow. Uh, uh-huh. a- Abracadabra. Abra? No, Cadabra. Cadabra? Cadabra, yeah. Cadabra, yes. I got there eventually. Who, who mm-hmm. in Japan, they, they very rarely show him anymore because his Japanese name is a play on Yuri Geller. And he will he will sue Nintendo anytime or the Pokemon Company anytime uh, they use that Pokemon. Why? Who is Yuri Geller and why? Why is his name oh, a pun uh, on that? Yuri Geller was a famous fraud uh, psychic in like the seventies and eighties who claimed that he could bend uh, uh, bend spoons with his mind. Oh, spoons. Thus yes, the okay. spoons. It all makes sense yes. now. Yeah. Now I get it. Yeah. But wait, that that guy actually is a psychic Pokemon and he can really do it. So. Isn't yes. that kind of just, like, good publicity for him? Aren't we all Pokemon in our own way? It's not like he's a fake. They're not, you know, they're not trying to accuse him of being fake. Yeah, but I think he's, I think in, the, like, the last uh, couple decades, he's gotten very litigious, so. Yeah, look, if, oh, if you're gotcha. discredited, now that he's not getting yeah, that, if you're a that discredited mad spoon money rolling in no more. No. Yeah, you make your money how you can. <laughs> and that involves suing the Pokemon company. Pokemon Bending the legal system with his uh, mind? Yeah. Poke Co. Oh, yeah, Poke Co. Gotta catch them all. Gotta catch them all. Gotta catch them all. Gotta catch them all. Pokemon. Oh my god, how have they missed that marketing opportunity? Yeah, it's, it's what? Uh, you grab a squirtle and just squeeze it. Delicious <laughs> squirtle juice. Ew. It's the juice of murdered Pokemon, kids. <laughs> you want Mountain Dew or crab juice? <laughs> I'll take the grab juice. Grab juice. So welcome back to Cinema. Oh yeah, we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I thought we hadn't started yet. <laughs> oh, we're we're well underway. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a good Go solid on. 124 measures. <laughs> What's that in human time? Four minutes. <laughs> Nailed it. So, welcome. I guess the measure is two here. seconds. We, we have uh, we have an all-star panel here tonight. Um, I think you guys are going to like this. Uh, from digital left to digital right, we first have uh, Daniel Watson-Jones. Hello. That was oddly restrained. Uh, dude, tonight we'll be playing the part of uh, star of stage and screen, Adrian Pastar. Wait. All right. Uh, <laughs> moving on. Wait a minute. Uh, Adrian Pastar. Who, who is that? Yeah. No, who, who, uh, older who is Adrian Pastar? Brother on Heroes. That's funny brother. because uh, the other day uh, I watched John Wick and Adrian Padalecki is in that. Uh, the woman who's in Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And the whole time I was trying to remember her name, yeah. and I kept thinking Adrian Pazdar. But then I looked her up, and I was like, oh, no, it's this other name. But I never looked up who, who the heck Adrian Pazdar actually was. Also, on, also, on, Agents no also on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I didn't remember. He's the, uh, he's the general. Yeah. He's oh, the yeah, general that right. Josh oh, Lucas played in the hall. <laughs> Moving on. We've got <laughs> Derek Long. It is Josh <laughs> I am Derek Long. Uh, Derek oh, Long yeah. tonight is playing Derek the part Long. of uh, of John Vernon. What a generic name! Yeah, yeah not to be confused with Richard Vernon. No, John Vernon, star or of Vernon Animal Troy. House. All right. Uh, next to him, we have Nick Fester. Guten Tag. <laughs> Nick, German in origin, will be playing uh, playing the part of William Marshall, Blackula himself. Okay. I don't know. I'm Stephen Claypool. I'll be playing the part of Robert Hayes, star of Airplane. And what all of these men have in common Wait, do, is at various is, points in time, okay. each of them have, for a period, been the animated voice of Iron Man. Ah. There we go. Oh, a diverse nice. group there. Okay. So did at some point Iron Man say, fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son? <laughs> no, but at one point he did say, I am Blackula. <laughs> When was Blackula the voice of, uh... Wait, Iron Man Iron said Man. I am Blackula? On, <laughs> on Spider-Man and his amazing friends. <laughs> Great title. John Vernon was the original voice on uh, the Marvel superheroes uh, cartoon show from the 60s. Robert Hayes was the voice in the Iron Man cartoon of the 90s. And Adrian Pastar is uh, one of the most... The current ones. ones. Yeah, the current one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I knew about Adrian Pastor. I wouldn't have mentioned it. I didn't know any of the other voices. I never saw the 90s uh, Iron Man. Which was a bit too late. That's the only one I've seen. That's what I've heard. It was, on, it was on right after the Fantastic Four cartoon, which was the first place that I ever saw Ghost Rider. Which I never saw uh, that one either. They did that thing that sometimes got done in 1990s cartoons where the villain was the Mandarin, but rather than make him Asian, which they thought would be offensive... They made him some kind of green-skinned lizard man, which they thought would be less offensive. But I mean, still called the Mandarin. Is... Oh yeah, still called the ma still called the Mandarin. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't really dodge that bullet. In fact, it probably makes that bullet worse. I I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far because you know he uh, as a kid like there was no racial connotation to the name that my association with Mandarin was Mandarin oranges. Okay. So, yeah, I guess I guess so little kid isn't gonna know the. Uh... So you were confused about why when Iron Man punched him, juice didn't pop out of his. Face. <laughs> I I prob I don't remember him at all, but I uh, I was probably confused about why he was green instead of orange. I don't know. 
So uh, I actually, I was scrambling to put those names together, uh, if you couldn't tell. Uh-huh. Uh, originally, I was going to try to do band members of Black Sabbath, but then I realized the only one that had any meaning was Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, if you gave me the name of anyone else in, uh, in that, I would I would never yeah. met him. Dude, you're, uh, you're froze. Who has? You have. You, you are, yeah, you're, oh. you're pretty glitchy right now. Oh, okay. I mean, you guys are coming through a little slow, but you're fine right now. Uh, uh, you're better now. I was now, waiting until you... you sped up again until I said anything. I, I just wasn't saying anything as long as you were coming in slowly. You're fine now. Okay. Okay. now. Uh, one of my one of my roommates is watching uh, Game of Thrones on HBO Go, so he might be using the the router might be using a lot of signal. Um, what? Uh, <laughs> I don't know what you said, but yes. Yeah, <laughs> the router might be okay. <laughs> Um, actually, look, just go down there and spoil uh, it for him, and then uh, he'll turn it off. They all die. Lower the bit rate, or to the the frame rate of their uh, show. Yes. Um, yes. Go down uh, and ask your roommates to lower the bit rate of Game of Thrones so that you can do a podcast about comic book movies. Cool guy. Um. I think I'm, well, I don't know. I think I'm okay now. You're fine now. Hopefully you stay away. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Uh, our film Riveting stuff, is... listeners. Yeah. <laughs> stay tuned for more technical difficulties. Uh, our for more tonight... Game of Thrones commentary. Yeah. Our film tonight is Iron Man. Yes. Yeah. That, was, that was a seamless segue. Yeah. Uh, I am, I am Iron Man, you and, and I like to party. You could have, like... Worked in something about the Starks or the the Ironed Islanders, but now it's just straight to it. Oh God damn it! That's, uh. I believe okay, I did okay. pause it the other day that there uh, are so many the, ends. The family Stark and Tony Stark are related. Yeah. If, uh, if Theon Greyjoy hadn't been castrated, and if he had fathered a Stark child and named him Tony, but the child had kept the mother's family name, he'd be Iron Man. See, seamless. <laughs> Like there a you fucking go. food delivery. That was seamless. <laughs> well Wait, what? Like a food oh, delivery? That is, that is such a San Francisco slash New York joke. Yep. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Seamless is like I don't uh, you order food online and it gets delivered from restaurants. Oh, okay. Yes. I believe they are owned by Grubhub now. Yeah. Or one of the other. All right, I've heard of Grubhub. They're, they're owned by Big Grub now. <laughs> Anyway, our podcast brought to you by Big Grub. (laughs) Big Grub. Eat it, stupid. (laughs) (laughs) So, Iron Man, uh, quick, I don't think I need to explain who Iron Man is to anyone, but just a a, a bit of background that I found interesting. Um, So, Stan Lee, Stan Lee created Iron Man by himself with, no, um, uh, created with Larry Lieber, Don Heck, and Jack Kirby. And what I, I find interesting about the process, and I think that this comes through in the film, is Iron Man was created on a dare that Stan Lee made to himself. If we assume that all parts of Stan Lee... Are Did you just say Iron Man? Man. I, don't, I don't know if that's how dares work. <laughs> oh, to see if he could create a superhero who was awful and unlikable? The, the, the argument was, uh, and I'll, I'll just read the quote from, from Stan Lee from Wikipedia, so twice embellished. <laughs> Oh, yeah. 
I think I gave myself a dare. It was the height of the Cold War. The readers, the young readers, if there was one thing they hated, it was war. It was the military. So I got a hero who represented that to the hundredth degree. He was a weapons manufacturer. He was providing weapons for the army. He was rich. He was an industrialist. I thought it'd be fun to take that kind of character that nobody would like, none of our readers would like, and shove him down their throats. <laughs> ah, and he became very popular. <laughs> uh, I should have read that in a Stan Lee voice. <laughs> so, Iron Man. Cinema. Uh, or at least in a true believer or two. True believer. <laughs> my Stan Lee is getting dangerously close to my Lucille Ball. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, Harvey Firestorm. <laughs> Ricky. Ricky. <laughs> Jack. I want to be in the show. This podcast has descended into us just making random noises. <laughs> 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 So Iron Man 2008, uh, di- directed by uh, by do you, Swingers. Do you guys want to hear the Denver. most annoying sound in the world? Yes, <laughs> <They> just did. <laughs> All right, go on. Sorry, I'm not actually going to do that. Directed to the by John Favreau, starring Robert Downey Jr., uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, Jeff Bridges, Terrence Howard, uh, for now, and uh, so, some other fun character actors. Yeah. Jeff, uh, John, not Jeff Favreau. John Favreau's in there. Favreau. <laughs> John's fat brother, Jeff Favreau. <laughs> Rocky the flirt. <laughs> sure. Anyway, yeah. John's singing at the fire and ice ball. Um, just before we dive in, so I did a little digging, by which I mean Wikipedia and internet crawling, and found some fun trivia. About this film. So this is another one of those Marvel films that was in development hell forever. Um, Universal bought the rights in 1990, and their original pick to direct a low-budget version of the film, Castle Freak's own Stuart Gordon. Yes. Gasp! Wow. Castle Freak. Yep. Um, six years later, 20th Century Fox bought the rights from Universal and wanted to make a version with Nicolas Cage as Iron Man. Everyone wanted to make a superhero movie with him. Yep. Uh, So Tom Cruise was pursuing it for a while. In 99, Quentin Tarantino was asked to write and direct the film. All right. That would be an interesting direction. (laughs) Wow. Uh, 2001, Joss Whedon uh, was asked to direct. Um, 2004, Nick Cassavetes uh, was attached for a couple of years. Uh, in a draft that was written by, uh, let's see, Alfred Goff, Miles Millar, and Dave Hader. Goff and Millar, this is Hader was, uh, wrote the X-Men. More unsuccessful development sold to New Line, or no, had been at New Line after being sold by 20th Century Fox, returned to Marvel, and Marvel started its studio to make this film because apparently no one else was going to. Because everyone wanted to get on that fat Iron Man money. Yep. That fat, fat Iron Man. I mean, it's at this point in time, you know, we we all know who this Iron Man fellow is, but he wasn't exactly a prominent character in the public consciousness. I had when this no. when this movie came out. I think the extent of my exposure to Iron Man was the Capcom fighting games. Yeah, that was the only exposure I'd ever had to Iron Man. I never saw the cartoons, and I, I don't think I've ever read a comic that has Iron Man in it. Yeah, so you take a semi-obscure character, you get a director whose previous film was Zarathustra, uh, and then you attach to it 
an actor who was best known at that point for having gone in and out of rehab and jail for 10 years in Robert Downey Jr. Surefire hit. Big thing. Yep. Yep. Um, does anyone want to take a stab at summarizing this film? Uh, God, I wish I had written a summary. I, I did not. I did not take the time to do it because I have I have bare bones of pieces of summary, uh, but nothing nothing I could actually. Uh, I, I couldn't. I could not weave one of my normal, very coherent and concise uh, descriptions right, of the film. Let's see. I think I, I can probably wing it. Um, all right. All right. Wing. Wing it, DuckTales. Right. I, I will. I will wing right. it. Unless uh, somebody after else. That, I think I would like to. Uh, I think I'd like to do my own version after you. Okay, sure. All right. So Tony Stark is the uh, you know swinging playboy um, CEO of Stark Industries, who makes weapons, uh, and he gets kidnapped by movie surrogate Taliban, uh, who keep him in a cave for three months, asking that he they, develop. They're called the Ten Rings. Yes, uh, asking that he uh, develop in this cave his most advanced missile system for them. During this... The Jericho. The Jericho. During this three months, they check on him approximately three times and never stop him from building <laughs> the, uh, the, the proto-Iron Man suit that he's making, very obviously. Uh, and then he makes the Iron Man suit and escapes, and he comes back, and everyone's assumed he's dead or uh, been kidnapped, and he's, he's fine. He announces... No one assumed he had been kidnapped. He was kidnapped. <laughs> well, I don't... It's unclear to me how much people know about what was happening to him when he gets back. Uh, I mean, have they... Has anyone received video footage from him... Pub, of him publicly? Or do they just think that he was killed? It's unclear. So, uh, he, he comes back. Obadiah Stane, the most realistic name in the world, uh, <laughs> is the, uh, is the former CEO of, uh, Stark Industries, and he's, uh... Jeff Bridges with a shaved head. Uh, and they start butting heads after Stark announces in a press conference while eating a cheeseburger that Stark Industries will no longer make weapons. Uh, and Stark uh, has, you know, some PTSD and some depression and discovers that uh, there's been business dealings behind his back and they're still selling weapons. And he gets into his now much fancier Iron Man suit and goes, goes and blows up a uh, Af- Afghani village because he's super white savior uh, guy, and Obadiah Stane is trying to uh, sort of develop the technology on his own, and he builds a giant ironmonger suit, uh, and they fight it out. Nailed it. That's the movie. <laughs> That's the movie. A bunch of stuff happens in the middle. I don't remember. But- <laughs> it's important to start strong and end strong. <laughs> I feel I like okay. we should also we should we should also mention the fact that uh, Tony is given uh, what amounts to an artificial heart. Yeah, it's not, you, uh, you he has his original heart. But while he while he was in captivity, uh, being ca- being held captive by the Ten Rings, um, uh, Yinsen, uh, who is uh, a scientist Disney of some kind, <laughs> Disney's spelled backwards. Um, uh, basically uh, installed a, um, a kind of primitive uh, system for uh, keeping the metal shrapnel that Tony had been hit with uh, 
incidentally made from Stark weaponry, oh. uh, Im- important symbolically, from entering his heart. And so he has this electromagnet that, that keeps the, uh, the shrapnel from killing him. He later replaces this with uh, a miniature arc reactor. Arc reactor technology is an important <laughs> element of the film and of the Iron Man suit. Yes. Uh, As we, and we all know what arc reactor technology is, don't we? It was we? developed in the 60s, yeah. <laughs> just to get the hippies off their backs. That, that's right. To, yeah. the, yeah. to keep the hippies happy. Yeah. Um, um, okay, so you wanted uh, the movie that I saw. Um, <laughs> I think you'll find that everything in the movie you saw was done by description. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, including Pepper Potts, which you totally <laughs> mentioned. Ah, she doesn't have a lot to do with this. <laughs> um, she so posted the Tony Stark. Tony Stark is a, a man child who is uh, tolerated by everyone. You make him sound like knows, fucking baby uh, Huey. <laughs> liked only by the audience. Uh, he is uh, basically useless, pursues only his own pleasures, is clearly addicted to sex and gambling and alcohol. All that uh, good stuff. But has apparently received controlling stock from his father in the company that his father founded, uh, but which was run for years uh, through until Tony became an adult by Obadiah Stane. Uh, and... Then he goes on a sales trip to the Middle East to try to sell weapons to uh, the U.S. military. Uh, He is killed in a convoy and then wakes up in the afterlife uh, where he is uh, forced to confront the the true... Uh, source of the money that he's ma- that he's been living off of his entire life, his uh, lavish lifestyle, has been funded entirely by uh, weapons of mass destruction and and uh, terrible death. Uh, then he is waterboarded by the devil uh, <laughs> and has a vision of how to uh, turn a the Stark weapons uh, missile technology inside out. Uh, into a shield, which he can then use to uh, murder all of his captors in a, a fiery reconstruction of hell. Uh, he, oh, he meets uh, a savior figure in the afterlife immediately, uh, who conveniently has a name that sounds vaguely Jewish to me, uh, who then martyrs himself uh, so that Tony can survive long enough to power up his death weapon. Uh, he blows up everything and fires himself out of the explosion as a new man. Black Sabbath album titles. And Iron Man is not one of them. He returns to uh, the United States uh, and to his company, having redirected all of his sexual energies uh, and most of his drinking energies to... Uh, apparently, he can no longer lie, it seems. He is just uh, uh, uncontrollably honest uh, and thus no longer fit for being CEO of a weapons company. He Especially wants to no longer manufacture yeah. weapons. Yes. Um, oh, and he realizes that he's been terrible to Pepper, but he doesn't really stop being terrible to her uh, for pretty much the rest of the movie. I don't think it's until the future movies where he stops being really bad uh, and, but he continues to be selfish and focuses only on his own, his own projects, having no regard for any of the the stockholders or anyone who's employed by the company, uh, or 
anyone who uh, buys the products that he has been selling. Uh, he is terrible to his friend, Terrence Howard. Um, Colonel Rhodes, that's it. Rhodes, no, no, that's Terrence his name. Um, but it's okay, because uh, really, Tony Stark is the only character in this entire movie. Everyone else is a, a, uh, an empty shell uh, who either speaks directly to Tony about what he is doing or uh, otherwise provides some kind of plot complication. Uh, then he, let's see, what happens next? Um, uh, oh, yeah, he creates his super suit so that he is now the most powerful person on Earth and then does whatever he wants. Um, and then his former partner, or the CEO of the company, Obadiah, it turns out uh, has betrayed him in the first act of the film, but it's never explained why, really. Uh, he explains why he does terrible things in the third act of the film, but we're just kind of left to fill in the gaps as to why he betrayed him in the first place and didn't just, like, have him removed as CEO or otherwise engineer the control of his stock or something, which he didn't even seem to really want or do anything with. He just went straight to murder. Um, and then he builds his own suit, uh, which does not have either of the... The actual things that Tony has invented in his, his life. I, I can come up with two things that Tony has invented. Uh, the Jarvis program and that robot arm, uh, which later blends with Jarvis, I think. They become like one thing. Uh, so he puts those together to help him with the suit. Uh, both of which are inventions to assist his laziness and detachment from the rest of the human race. Uh, and uh, Pepper continues to be a pair of high heels with no dialogue or motivation of her own. There's uh, a reason I didn't and, feel the need to include her. Yeah, then Tony saves her from Obadiah, who crawls out of the ground, uh, and Obadiah dies, uh, and Tony doesn't, and Pepper doesn't, and... <laughs> Tony's already dead! Uh, you said Tony got killed in Act 1! He, 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 he can't die again. He can't die with the oh, dead. I mean, this is, this is his... Uh, his afterlife, where he is working out his own karmic salvation. Uh, so he is trying to make up for all of the bad things he does, but not never really understands what any of the bad things he does or did were. So he goes around killing more people uh, or helping uh, those who were being put upon to kill those who put upon them. Uh, and then he decides that he's going to be a superhero and tells everyone that that's what he is. Uh, and then the credits roll, and Samuel L. Jackson uh, comes in to uh, recruit. Uh, I think he's playing a character, but he might just be Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, yeah, no, he doesn't introduce himself at all. <laughs> That's not true. So, uh, uh, no, he does say his, nickname, his name is Nick Fury, and he recruits he uh, Iron Man to the Avengers. So... Um, I really, I really like the, uh, I really like the phrase "waterboarded by the devil." I think that should have been. Waterboarded by the devil. Yeah, that should have been a protest album in like 2006. <laughs> Waterboarded by the devil. And the cover could be like a very, it's very obviously Cheney being the devil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, or Rumsfeld. So. It could be like an amalgamation. Yeah. Rums Cheney. <laughs> Rums Cheney. Frankenfeld. <laughs> That's Al Franken and Donald Rumsfeld. <laughs> no one would like that combo. No. Especially not Al Franken. Yeah. So, um, 
Dude, thank you for your summary. <laughs> You're welcome. I think I think my summary raised an interesting point oh. as well. Thank you very much. Did you did you guys catch the Hydra reference? Uh, which one? Uh, when Obadiah and Tony are fighting in the street in front of that hydrogen-powered bus, at some point, uh, uh, Obadiah's suit is in front of the middle part of the phrase, so it looks like it says Hydra-powered uh, with him in the foreground. So what you're saying is that Hydra is behind the clean energy lobby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm saying um, that he, he uh, either is a member of Hydra or uh, Hydra is... I, I would suggest that Hydra is behind the, the Ten Rings, uh, I, I, that I they are just a sub-terrorist group. If, uh, if Obadiah were a member of Hydra, that would go a long way in explaining his complete lack of visible motivation. <laughs> yes. But, step, stepping back from the details, let, let us see the forest and not the trees for a <laughs> Yes, there, um, an explanation maybe seven years later might have been given. Yes. Um, just uh, out of the gate, you know... 30 minutes into this recording. Um, what, what are your just general thoughts, opening thoughts, if you will, on the film? And since Derek, or since Dooge and Nick have given summaries, we'll let Derek lead off this one. All right, Derek, <laughs> give us your summary well, of the movie. I'll, I'll say, despite Dooge and Nick's summaries of the film, this is a really great script. <laughs> it really uh, is. Yeah. It's, it's probably one of the best, if not the best written film that I think we've seen for this podcast. Um, it, you know, structurally it works really well. Not there, is, there aren't really sections that drag or feel unnecessary. Um, the thing moves. Um, you know, I, I think one of the one of my favorite parts of this movie is actually just like the first four minutes or so where we actually, we start like in medias res, like just in that Humvee and we get to know Tony. Um, like that's the main point of that scene. Right. And it's very efficient. Right. We learn how we learn where he's, you know, he's talking to all of the troops that are escorting him uh, away from the like test site for the Jericho. And we don't know this at this point because we get the flashback and we learn that the reason he's in Afghanistan um, is, to, is to test the Jericho. But we learn who Tony is, and it puts him in trouble. Um, and I guess that gets me to the sort of second point. I mean, we can flesh out the details of, of the writing if we want to. But the second point is just, and really, like, the main takeaway that most, like, critics took from this film was Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. Um, was his performance in this film and Tony as a character that audiences really responded to. Like, they really liked this superhero who was also, like, a dick, um, but funny, right? I mean, Tony is, like, constantly cracking jokes. Like, there are, there are all kinds of just tiny, like, legitimately funny moments and lines of dialogue that are interspersed throughout the film. Um, there are plenty of examples, but, like, I think one that maybe relates back to the idea of this being a really great script is the whole pro the whole sequence of him building the Iron Man Mark II suit where you could have very easily seen um, a script where this might have been written away just into a montage, right? right? I mean, it could have been like a 30-second montage of him, you know, you see him like welding the suit together and having ideas, but no, it's actually kind of an extended sequence and what makes it not boring and what makes us 
want to see him build the suit is not only the fact that he gets into all these kind of like shenanigans with the suit, but also he has somebody to talk to, right? He has that robot arm <laughs> to talk to and to play off of. Um, and it's just, it, I mean, that's that's the sign of a really kind of a, a nuanced kind of take on how, how do we get this story information across um, and, and this process of building the suit, because the suit is really important. How do we get it across in a way that's not going to like bore the audience and that that kind of keeps things moving um so those are just two like initial thoughts but i think it's not it's not just tony's performance it's also the fact that um really all the characters are given a, a great script to work with and it's a great cast as well um you know i think everybody kind of serves their roles really well so it's a bunch yeah. of things but just as some starting points so, so that that last um. bit there was like my first takeaway watching this you know, you, you see the story is structured very well, it moves, but I think Dooch brought this up in kind of a half-joking way. Uh, the characters themselves, from a script perspective, and we already talked about kind of Obadiah's motivation, they're not drawn particularly well as kind of distinct entities apart from Tony. They all relate back to him, and he's the protagonist, mm -hmm. so that's okay, but um, they, the director and the film lean very heavily on the fact that even though these characters are a little thin, they are cast with great actors in the part. Mm -hmm. So, like, Obadiah, you don't mind that much that his motivation is maybe a little lacking, because, you know, it's Jeff Bridges with a ridiculous bald head and beard, dressed in this inc <laughs> incredible wardrobe, walking around, you know, being, giving a, a, a great performance in the context of what he's, what he's doing. And yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow as, as Pepper Potts is kind of the same thing. It's not a, a well-drawn character, but the actress is strong enough to at least make it feel a little grounded as a person. Mm -hmm. that, that throughout the film and going forward through the, the series of films that we're getting ready to get into, not just with Iron Man, but with the broader Marvel canon, the biggest job that is done at the start of these films is in the casting. I can't think of many Marvel characters in the MCU that are really poorly cast. And that starts here. Mm -hmm. um, I felt that uh, everything that Derek said about Tony Stark and Robert Downey Jr. was absolutely true. Um, and as I, I don't remember what roles he had taken since he was in rehab, but I remember watching this movie and the, the, the general reaction to it being like, Robert Downey Jr. is back. Like, he, he is like, capable kiss, kiss, bang, bang. of, you know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen that yet. Um, oh, it's really And good. I think it was um, then maybe Tropic Thunder after this. Yeah. Uh, Those two um, were really close. Or uh, Iron Man and Tropic Thunder yeah. were really close. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I felt like Obadiah is sort of the next most detailed character, but he has – you don't have much to work with with him, and I felt that Jeff – Bridges was kind of criminally underused. Uh, I generally thought that this movie needed to be at least 20 minutes longer, and Pepper needed probably two or three more scenes, and they really needed to rewrite most of the scenes that she was in already. Uh, and Obadiah needed at least one or two more scenes, um, and I thought uh, Terrence Howard as Rhodey could have used one or two more um, and I, were there any other characters other than Yinsen and uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, not really. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, there, Raza, uh, yeah. Um, there was Happy Hogan. He had one line. And Agent Colson. Yeah, Colson. Um, Agent Colson, I thought they did, they did a very good job of introducing him, uh, and he does exactly what they need him to do in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. And... No, it's, uh, it's a, it's a four-person But I, I thought that, that Gwyneth Paltrow was also criminally underused. That they, but they, they gave her nothing to work with. No. Uh, most of the time, she's just talking about Tony to Tony, or she's kind of bemoaning her fate... But then there are scenes, like the scene in the end where, uh, during the climactic battle sequence, she stands in one spot that entire time. She goes and does nothing on her own. Most of the time, she's just taking Tony's direction. Uh, they discuss what she's going to do, and then she goes to do it. Uh, it, it doesn't seem like, for, for someone who's in her position, who's basically running Tony's life, that uh, you're, they're trying to present her as really in charge of uh, keeping him in line, uh, but then also that no one can keep him in line, yet she's still holding everything together, and she's kind of this shrinking violet figure. Uh, I, I felt like she was fairly inconsistent, um, and that frustrated me quite a bit uh, because it didn't make sense for the role that she's supposed to be carrying out in his life. All right. Uh, well, end of sentence. Yes, end of sentence. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think I agree with Dooge now but i mean this is probably at least the third maybe the fourth time i've seen this movie oh yeah and yeah, i don't I think watch this in theaters T- totally different sorry yeah i mean when this when this movie first came out uh it was for several years my favorite comic book movie um i, really I it was it was really really good and it was really good in a way that i was really surprised by because this was probably also the first probably the first comic book movie that i went to see where i didn't know the characters beforehand because, you know, you know Batman and Superman before then. I had watched and Spider-Man X-Men. and X-Men uh, cartoons mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Uh, and even through Spider-Man, I knew who Blade was. But uh, as I mentioned earlier, my knowledge of Iron Man was as, as one of the characters in, Marvel, in those Marvel Capcom video games. Um, so it was a character I had no investment in. And... Uh, to be perfectly honest, I, rem- I distinctly remember uh, when hearing about uh, Robert Downey Jr. being cast in the role, and I laughed because it just seemed like because this was this was obviously before his his big comeback, and as we mentioned, this is kind of like right in the right in the middle of what was a very big year for year or two for Robert Downey Jr., where he really comes back and goes from being you know this guy who made some movies in the '80s and then went to jail for a while and kept. Uh, hopping in and out of rehab to very solidly on the A-list. I think a year or two ago, he was the highest paid actor in Hollywood. Um, but at the time, he was, you know, that guy. Uh, so I remember, like, seeing a production sh- shot of him. was like, this movie's going to be a fucking disaster. Uh, and then watching it and going, this is amazing. Uh, and, and, yeah, now, now that I watch it, like, there's certainly those issues with Obadiah's... Uh, Motivations, which are not really things that you notice on the first read and second viewing. But, you know, when you see it a few more times, you can get a bit more nitpicky about these kinds of things. And certainly they're, they're doing very little with Pepper. But uh, all in all, I think it's, it holds up, but, uh, but maybe it, it's been eclipsed now by some other films. I think the way that, that you just described it and do hit this as well is on second and third and fourth viewings, you... you you kind of see the seams a little. Yes. Um, and that's okay to an extent, because I think yeah. in, at a, in an episode 
several episodes ago, maybe one of the Spider-Man episodes. Derek, you, you talked about this with the, it was the first Spider-Man episode with the David Kep script, um, where it, you could see the scenes in the script, but it was because the script had been put together. Like someone had taken the time to put this thing together in a cohesive whole. And when you consider that this film was in development for almost 20 years, Mm -hmm. had God knows how many like versions of the script that it went through before being scrapped and redone and all that. Like, mm -hmm. uh, it's. I think that you wish that you couldn't see the scenes. You wish it held together perfectly, but I don't think it gets in the way of it being a very enjoyable film. I think if you consider a couple of the the films that come a little later in uh, in the Marvel canon, mm -hmm. it it doesn't hold up quite as well. Mm -hmm beside those, but it's still, it's a very well put together film. Yeah, and you have to wonder also um, how much of this film, I mean, every film is made in the edit, but how, mu how much they, you know, were looking at just like rough cuts of this and recognizing that More Robert Downey Jr.'s performance, like, makes the film. Like, they recognized that they needed as much Tony and just Tony being Tony as they could get in the film. And it wouldn't surprise me if there was more of Obadiah and more Pepper Potts. And, you know, they just sort of said, look, we want it two hours, give or take five minutes. And, you know, they, I mean, they knew that they wanted, they wanted to start a franchise, right? They wanted yeah. to start a yeah, long-form series Studios. of films. Mm -hmm. And they yeah. knew they needed to pull it off. Um, you know, I think, I think it makes sense. But it, I think that, you know, I, I definitely agree that you know, the, the scenes do start to show a little bit on second and third viewings in terms of those characters. At the same time, it makes perfect sense why yeah. <laughs> why those scenes are there and why yeah. those characters aren't, aren't given the room to breathe. Um, and I think the, they the, are in the subsequent it, films, yeah, I think. But I mean, like I think the, Pepper the, gets a lot more in Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3. I think the stuff. longest that Tony is ever off screen in the film is the scene where Pepper goes to Obadiah's office to hack his computer. And yeah. that's mm -hmm. maybe a three minutes. Uh, that's the longest mm -hmm. you go without seeing. Yeah, that's uh, probably I right. Watched maybe the, it might be, I think it's a little bit longer a scene, but yeah. yeah. Maybe. Uh, I would love to see the pre-shooting script, like the original full-length script, uh, because I also think that a lot of the scenes that I had uh, trouble with, particularly ones between Robert Downey Jr. and Gwyneth Paltrow, worked better on the page. Like the things that they're mm -hmm. saying and the set, uh, like the, the stage directions and the, the setting worked so uh, it, it's in theory, but uh, the, the actual chemistry between the actors, which sometimes seemed deliberately mm -hmm. awkward because they're supposed to be really awkward together, like when they're on that balcony, mm -hmm. but it wasn't actors doing a good job, I felt, of people being awkward. It was just everything looking very awkward. So uh, apparently, and this is, again, this is Wikipedia, and it's after the fact, so Favreau's saying this maybe to talk things up. Um, a significant chunk of the dialogue in the film, and those scenes in particular with one of Paltrow and Robert Downey Jr., were, uh, was improvised. Um, okay. Because you know they're filming this in, I think, filming in 2007. They got to get the film moving. The script isn't done when filming starts, mm -hmm. and so they put their time and energy and writing into structure and into making sure the action yeah. is in place, and then just kind of trusted those actors to, to carry the scene. So they get a couple cameras in the scene and basically okay. like do a, a three, you know, two or three camera setup like on television yeah. to give you that 
back and forth that would be happening. Um, and I think that uh, that comes through in some awkwardness, but I think it also comes through in some of the humor. Like how, how many, when, Derek, you brought up the, the scene where Robert Downey Jr. is playing off a robot arm, you know, a lot of that feels very off the cuff, and it feels mm-hmm. very much him kind of quipping to himself and quipping to the machine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, it, I, don't, I don't know. I don't quipping know to the machine. Quipping to the, yeah, that's, that's uh, uh, my, cra- my craft work <laughs> album, yeah. I watched I mean, I the think part, sorry, I watched the deleted scenes on the DVD, and there yeah. were more scenes of there was another scene of Rhodey, uh, particularly there was one good one where he was talking to like his commanding officer or somebody else in the military who was encouraging him to give up looking for Tony during the, the kidnapping three month span, and he him refusing to do it so that there was some setup for the fact that he happens to be the first guy who finds him out in the desert because he has been looking for him nonstop. But obviously they took that out because. Uh, I would assume in the second act they wanted it to be entirely from Tony's perspective with no no recourse to get out of the cave other than his own wits. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, and the... Well, I was about to say something else, but go on. I'll remember it. Derek, you were about to say something? Uh, I mean, the, the, the thought I had, and it, it gets back to um, Robert Downey Jr.'s performance, I, I think part of what makes it appealing, apart from just like um, a charismatic performance itself, is also the fact that um, in this film, Tony is is the character um, who is who is seeing things from the audience's point of view. I mean, it's so... It's, you often see this crutch of, you know, there's like an outsider to the film's situation who comes in and they're constantly like asking questions. You're Lou Gossett Jr. in The Punisher. Exactly. <laughs> um, but in this in this film, there's a way in which Tony himself is that character, not in the sense that he doesn't understand what's going on, but because Tony sees like the inherent humor or the inherent absurdity of certain situations, or mm-hmm. you know, just like in the beginning Humvee scene, um, where you know the guy like holds up the peace sign, and he's like, "Oh yeah, peace, great." Um, just this kind of running commentary almost that in some ways like mirrors what maybe some of the, some of the audience is, is yeah. thinking at the time and it's that kind of it's that kind of interplay where he really is performing for us with mm-hmm. the knowledge of what we're seeing on screen and what we yeah. think of this whole this whole situation well I, um, I think it works very well because he's fully fleshed out as an egocentric character mm-hmm. who's who's just yeah. always been the center of everything and mm-hmm. that so it makes the movie kind of work on a a deeper level if you want to say that the other characters are not fleshed out because he does not see them as fleshed out uh, he he doesn't uh really understand pepper um he doesn't know his own social security number which is believable that you oh, know he would yeah. never have had to put it on a form he's always had people to do that for him uh, why would he ever need to know those kind of like nitty gritty details of his life? Uh, they they establish early that well, he's a genius. He has the capability the, to be very successful, but that he uses none of it. In, in um, the, in he's the, always just getting by on the, the charisma and wits. And then in, Sorry, in, in the subsequent films, you know, two and three and, and so on, um, to, to step back and not, not to lead too far into the fact that we're launching a, a series here, but mm-hmm. the, the story of this film is. You have an adult man who has lived a 
particular context, and he's become who he's going to be. Like, he, he as a human being is yeah. not going to change completely. But he's put into a situation where the way he views the world has to change. Um, so he, he becomes aware mm-hmm. of the responsibility well, he bears for the weapons he makes and takes action to correct that and causes yeah. more problems, which play out in the road. And th- this is this is the arc that is going to carry him through not just the other Iron Man films, but the Avengers films, where he's he is trying to do good. He is trying to grow. He is trying to... He appreciates Pepper more. Mm-hmm. And, and this change happens, but at the same time, he's still Tony Stark. Like, he's not... He is not... The core of him is not changing, but the way that he mm-hmm. is trying to channel it and manifest it is changing. And sometimes that works well for him. Sometimes he creates killer robots. Um, he does do I, that. I, he, does do that all, he does that a lot. He does that yeah. a lot. He creates killer robots. <laughs> the, the scene that's probably the most crucial for me is the waterboarding scene. Um, yeah. Because he's, he's woken up, he's completely powerless. Um, he like literally he has his he's going to die. Uh, there there's these metal shards of death in his chest for reasons. God, so uh, many albums and tonight. yeah, <laughs> shards of death. Uh, in his chest uh, or you know scattered throughout his body or whatever. And we're we're meant to believe that he's going to die if he doesn't have this artificial kind of heart put into him. And uh, so. But when he's when he's being waterboarded, he has a vision, and there are two two things that he sees that are not present in that setting with him. Uh, he hears Pepper's voice, and he sees the arc reactor. He has a vision of it, uh, and then his his head is pulled out of the water, and he sees his own face in a cracked, dirty mirror, and realizes like sees himself for the first time, and his actual like place and who he is and. There's a lot of subtle choices in this movie. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, I love that suicidal, the use of the suicidal tendencies. <laughs> suicidal tendencies. Uh, uh, born that, of a broken was, man. Uh, perfect. Um, he, uh, uh, but he, he goes into that, into the desert as neither iron nor a man. And then he is forged within that cave into both. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a gold titanium alloy. I've made the subtext text, but it's there. I mean, it's it's very clearly that's what oh, yeah. you're supposed to understand happens. But I, I, th- um, I think that's okay insofar as I think the film owns that. Well, like it's mm-hmm. it's not trying to be terribly subtle, and it hits the beats along the way well enough that like you can. You can come with. Oh yeah, I oh, mean, yeah. it never be, it never hits you over the head with any of it. I, I not feel like, like, and not it's like a yeah. hammer pounding on iron. Well, and the, and the <laughs> symbolism is also functional, right? It's not mm-hmm. just it's not just there for you to enjoy. It's functional in in, in a script writing perspective mm-hmm. because it's uniting like the A plot and the romantic B plot. Um, yeah. Which, like, we haven't seen all that much of. No. Oh no, uh, you know, they do usually well. the the extent of that is you know. Put put your lady love in danger, mm-hmm. and that's it. Well, love- here actually, like it's it's sort of Tony's relationship with technology, right? Proof mm-hmm. that Tony Stark has a heart. I would say with the rest um, of humanity in general, but yes, also with technology in that same vein. Yeah. Well, uh, oh, sorry, and, and I didn't mean to on, you, but, on, uh, the, on that on that heartbeat though, on that you know proof that Tony Stark has a heart. But this goes back to what you were saying, Gooch. I mean the the 
the resolution mm. at the end of the film is only possible because Pepper had the foresight to save that piece of him that he told her to throw away. Like, mm-hmm. even, even throw into an incinerator. Is, even when she's not there, she is still, like, saving his bacon. Yeah. And mm-hmm. all of his... I, I like that bacon. a lot of his character flaws or, like, the things that uh, he, he was at the beginning of the film and moves away from uh, after this near-death experience... Uh, and the, his desert cave trial, you could say. Uh, he, uh, all of those things are still useful to him, and he builds on them. And the, the future successes that he has are natural progressions out of the, the earlier selfish successes that he had. Yeah. Um, and it's, probably the most, and that's done in... Sorry, go ahead, dude. Uh, just the most obvious piece of symbolism, uh, I would say, is when he, is, he jumps the gun before the equations are, are done calculating and takes mm-hmm. the, the first mm-hmm. suit out to test, and he flies mm-hmm. straight into the air, just as far from yeah. humanity and as high as he can go, until he freezes uh, at, because he's too far away from the Earth and falls back to Earth uh, and is able to come within inches of hitting the ground uh, because he, he actually, his, his math was right, his, his genius is real. He does actually have the skill to, uh, to do this thing and to succeed. Um, and he had to go, you know, he had to go as far as he could be, to find out how far was too far. And again, like, from a script writing perspective, like, that's a dangling mm-hmm. cause. Like, mm-hmm. later in the film, yeah. that's, how, that's how he defeats because, yeah. the Ironmonger. He, has, right? yeah. he and, has experienced it. He has pushed himself to that yeah. limit and mm-hmm. had that experience. <laughs> and that gives him the superior knowledge that he needs to actually learn from. Which is ironic, because it's probably the first time that... Uh, he knew how to run something that Ob- Obadiah did not know how to run. Uh, usually, uh, he's relying on Obadiah to run everything. But it, it also uh, was fascinating to me because Joss Whedon picks up that thread and uses it very, very effectively in The Avengers. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yes. Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave! In a cave. With a box of scraps! <laughs> God, that's so good. That's, that's why you cast Jeff. Bridges. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Jeff, uh, just read this one line. <laughs> also, that's uh, really going to be that... most of the characterization you have. This is when uh, your shell cracks and reveals who you are. <laughs> but, like, speaking of, speaking of, like, the underdevelopment of the other characters, there's that one... That one, not even seen, that one shot where Obadiah is coming in, riding a Segway and smoking yes, a cigar. Yes. Yeah, forgot that's about how you know he's clearly, evil right off the bat. Like, clearly, because he, he was has in a cigar. some other space before that, and that was yeah. like a deleted scene, or you know, that was part of some other more mm-hmm. developed kind of um, plot. But mm-hmm. here we just see him randomly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, on a Segway with a cigar. On a Segway with a cigar, and you, and you get just that like iconic. Yeah, the iconic so in image. Some ways, of Jeff on a in some ways, I mean, etched in our collective consciousness. Like That's right. <laughs> uh, it's impossible for me not to associate him with Joe Bluth at that point. Yep. But uh, <laughs> the, the cigar is really what cues you into the fact that he's going to be the oh, evil man. guy. Uh, we, but I really like the scene when he comes back from the board meeting, which Tony has skipped even after his uh, his desert time uh, with the pizza from yeah. New York, and mm-hmm. you really see that this is a father figure. Who, who has a relationship with this man who used to be a child, uh, and he's been, he's been doing this same thing for years. Uh, well, and, whenever and there's put, bad news, he gets he the kid pizza. It, he plays it 
so, like Bridges plays it well enough that mm -hmm. if he were not Jeff Bridges and bald with that ridiculous beard, you would not immediately associate him as the villain because he, he does not come across yeah. as the villain who is faking the father figure. He comes across as a father figure. But he looks like oh, yeah. that. That's no, real. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's the most prominent, most and successful actor in the film, and he's bald. <laughs> that, uh, it, I think that was, a, like, the first time I saw this in theaters, my one big problem was I felt like the third act hadn't been earned somehow, or it wasn't enough that the second act was so impressive. The, the actual, like, the story of him becoming Iron Man in the cave was, and is to me, still the best part of the movie. Um, but I'll be very interested to see how, how the, the racial uh, Are you overtones of that play in like 10 or 20 years, the way that we look back at... Anyway, this is another topic. Um, not going to play but, well. Uh, Are I, you... I felt... Go ahead. I'm just, I'm just wondering about where you're dividing up the acts, because it seems to me that... Uh, third like, or fourth act, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't yeah. look at the division. I, I just, of, yeah, it's probably fourth act. You're right. I didn't think act, about the fact yeah. this is probably four act, acts. Act um, one yeah, the is the build-up. Act two is him in the cave. Yeah. Act three I, is him becoming Iron Man. And act yeah. four is the... Yeah, in, in my head, really what I meant was the climax. The climax of yeah. this movie is not... Uh, it, I don't feel like it's as good as the rest of the film. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the battle at the end, it... Everything that happens in it makes sense based on the the more specific details of what's happened. Jeff Bridges does not have a complex operating system that he built himself and tested and has done runs on. He has no experience in the field with this machine. So it's just not going to work the, as well as Tony's does, even with um, the old power system, because Tony's built a more efficient suit, which is already has this other programming in it. So uh, he, can, he can do more with less. Uh, but... The uh, the final like Tony hanging from the the grid above the arc reactor and above Jeff Bridges and Gwyneth Paltrow saying, "But you'll die," uh, just like uh, Rocket Raccoon says to Groot later in Guardians of the Galaxy. In both of these films, that line just does not play well to me. It, it feels not unrealistic for a human to say or for a, per a character to say in that situation, but just short and cheap. Like, you're just trying to ramp up the drama by saying that it is more intense than it actually feels. And it, it just Yeah, it, it feels like a shortcut. Uh, and I, uh, it, there are several instances where it seems like we see the results of something that happened off screen and you can then kind of go back and reason out what happened. Mm -hmm. uh, like the evolution of Jarvis into running everything and putting the whole suit together. Uh, when earlier he's just been a voice who who tells you what to do in the house, and there's been these separate robots uh, mm -hmm. which don't speak. Uh, and at some point during the making of the suit and the machining of it, Tony synthesized those and created a more complex system, uh, which we see the result of but not the actual happening. Uh, and it feels like there are other scenes like that that are left out with Jeff Bridges in particular that there should have been a little more explanation for why he's so fed up with Tony, why he's resorted to murdering this man, yeah. uh, rather than deal with him another way. Like there's a, there's a line like right like right at the beginning of the fight, uh, like Pepper is like telling Tony that uh, Obadiah is the bad guy, and she and she mm -hmm. says that like Obadiah has gone completely insane. And yeah. I remember going like I I don't see any evidence of that. What are you talking about? Uh, yeah. But but to go back to your uh, your point about sort of. I understand sort of the cheapness of that kind of line, 
but also when you're dealing with the sort of techno babble kind of plot devices like the arc reactor technology, mm-hmm. it's sometimes necessary to set up those the sort of lethal stakes of that because otherwise you set that off and you know the digital effects there that kind of looks like an EMP blast that's not going to kill anybody. So yeah. you got to be able to say this is going to kill you or you know the the space magic in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. You gotta, you gotta yeah. explain that that is yeah. lethal space magic is, and not, you know, yeah, you, you, you gotta kill that but, purple one. But that assumes that the the setting that you're in, the uh, like the actual, um, like the footage that you've got, or the the situation that Tony has found himself in, is so ambiguous that you might not know that he's gonna die uh, because this thing is gonna blow up. And if you're starting with a blank page, then you can do something that I feel like would be a little more obvious or uh, where he's more clearly stuck. But he, he's clearly not, I mean, it's not necessary that he's going to die because what he does to get out of it is climb up and roll away. He rolls six inches. So yeah. all he had to do was move a little bit out of the way. So the, the, the stakes are not high whether you say that or not because they're clearly not high on screen. Like, That's fair. What are you talking give about? Open oh, I got the shit know, killed out. Some of. kind of, <laughs> yeah, some kind of like ingenious way that he gets out of it at the last. That second probably that probably has more to do with the fact that he fell like fell into three the earth three stories <laughs> into a power plant that blew with, up with a several ton metal yes. suit bearing down. Although although yes. the sev- the several ton suit thing is apparently not an issue because Tony Stark in the first version of the Iron Man suit. Felt like a mile out of the sky wearing probably about a thousand pounds worth of metal. And he was uh, fine. No, it's fine. Yeah. He uh, was fine. Also, at the beginning of like the fight, uh, <laughs> in, at the beginning of the fight, Tony Stark slams in, or Iron Man slams into Obadiah, who's standing still, rockets him through the ground, which appeared to, this is just a problem I had with the editing. I couldn't figure out where they were at this point because mm-hmm. Pepper is standing outside of a revolving door and in front of a bunch of tanks. It looks like they're in front of the building at street level, but then when Iron Man hits Obadiah, they go through the ground, then come out through a wall onto a highway. We are getting it just... very, very <laughs> pedantic about this. Yes. Well, as long as, I mean, as, long as Iron Man, as he, he comes out of the ground and he's through a wall, but that wall I... is next to a highway. <laughs> as long a, a wizard, a wizard did it. I'm, yeah, I'm. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm with you, dude. All right. But uh, I'm only, as long I'm as we're only nitpicking on this level because the rest of the movie is so well done that things like this seem very obvious once you start to think about them. But it, it's, again, it's the fact that you are nitpicking on this level, I think, is a, a testament to how well the rest mm-hmm. of the film holds together. Let's really dig in there. Oh, yeah, uh, great. The, yeah. the Civic Planner yeah. did not do a very good job. As long as, as, long as we're nitpicking things... Uh, at the very end, when uh, the Ironmonger blows up that building, Pepper Potts, in very high heels, has had probably about 15 seconds to run in that building before it blows the fuck up. They cut How out is she scene. not dead? They cut out the scene where they revealed that in a previous life she had been uh, an Olympic high heel sprinter. Yeah. <laughs> See, all of this, all this good, up. important info about Pepper that they're just leaving off Here's... the uh, leaving, leaving on the cutting room floor. Here is what you need to know about Pepper that. Uh that explains all of your questions about her. She does not exist when she is off screen, and she is off screen, uh, so she cannot be killed because she does not exist during that explosion. Also, she never none does of it matters because Tony to is already 
Tony's already dead, and she's just... <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. She's yeah. just a projection of Pepper uh, from his dying mind. The real world Pepper no, I, Potts is okay, much better. This is, this is a finer point. I was not arguing that this is a dying hallucination. I was arguing that he is dead, and this is actually his afterlife. He is okay. trying to oh, uh, like make up for the bad karma that he has earned. Not what lost and is. That, yeah, uh, <laughs> regardless. Uh, Except for that last by season. Doing I know, that's what I meant, the last and season. learning to overcome... Uh, the uh, the terrible things and terrible person that he was uh, and terrible personality that he had developed. Um, no, certainly, certainly the sideways universe is uh, they're all dead. It's just a very big pet peeve of mine where people claim that they're dead the entire time. They're not Nick fucking is dead. About lost right now. Just for fucking anyone ex- who has not realized that he has transitioned. <laughs> not um, fucking dead. <laughs> uh, I, I want to say one more or go, go back to something I mentioned briefly earlier uh, if we look at movies from the 80s now and 70s the portrayal of Russians uh, for one thing the broader trends in film have changed I think and we demand uh, generally a slightly more realistic uh, version of a, a character but no, like, we don't. movies like Red Dawn where the Russians like, th- nothing about the Russians in, the, in that decade makes any sense in these movies Drago, uh, from the, I would Drago. say the standard action film uh, yeah. yeah, that's absolutely realistic. Uh, but watching this film in 2008, I I didn't question uh, that there are humans in the world who you could say this is an easy allegory for. I don't know any of the specific details because I'm conti- entirely ignorant of uh, the reality of living, you know, in the Middle East or how many caves there are in Afghanistan. Uh, or wherever he is, uh, it's not clear. I guess just somewhere yeah. in the Middle East. I'm sure there are caves, but the the he's idea is that he's actually being held in a cave. Oh, okay. Uh, everything about like the setting in the second act seemed very cliche, but oh, yeah. uh, it, none of it struck me as being entirely unrealistic. The way that. Uh, a, a villain in an 80s movie might have an unrealistic, like, cartoonish level of motivation or desire. Uh, and Lester doesn't think I, that I don't vill- assume that that, that actually is realistic. No. I felt like... probably very uh, absurd, but, uh, you know, I, I have not read any, any uh, the, 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 histories the, of the, you know, the, the geography or this, anything. Of, uh, the, the root of this, and... and Bester, I do want to give you a minute to talk about the your thoughts on the terrorists in this film. But the, oh the, the root of this um. is, you know, in Iron Man, like many Marvel characters, he's kind of anchored in time, and you have to drag mm-hmm. him along at points. And Captain America, you, can, you can kind of get away with mm-hmm. it. He can be frozen for a long damn time. But, yeah. um, you know, when Iron Man came out, the origin was basically the same, but it was in Vietnam. And then in the late 90s, okay. the origin was basically the same, but it was the first Gulf War. And then in the last decade, mm-hmm. the origin was basically the same, but it's in Afghanistan. And so it just it yeah. keeps getting moved to whatever the latest, like, international mm-hmm. uh, international yeah. conflict is. And just dropping yeah. Tony. Like, Jensen, the, well, char- yeah, the character I mean, you see in this film, Jensen was a Vietnamese man <laughs> when originally... Oh, okay. Up With right. the same name? Yep, same name. He All was, right. He was Ho Jensen. <laughs> All right. um, so you just yeah, I mean, he, he's him. clearly like an uh, 
an, an academic who has been uh, put upon by the same forces that are holding uh, Tony captive. But I, I guess the, the consistent element through all of those time periods is the nature of the military-industrial complex and private contractors. Which ties into uh, the character. So it, yeah. it, it's always applicable in a different, mm -hmm. wherever America is, you know, killing yeah. people um, or, you know, making people mad uh, or where people are getting mad that America is killing people. Yeah. Um, I like the idea uh, of dragging him in the other direction. So, like, a, a 1930s version of uh, <laughs> Iron Man. Who, the like, Kaiser got, got him. The Kaiser yeah. got him with like the with the mustard uh, gas, so he has to. He's got like a special thing in his body so that he doesn't die from mustard gas poisoning. Mm -hmm. And there's like an 18... or a 1912 version where Tony was injured at San Juan Hill. <laughs> yeah, or like an 18 punk Iron Man. There's an 18... Iron Man is actually made out of iron. Like an 1820s gonna... version where he got injured in like the Star Spangled Banner fight. <laughs> and, uh, Iron Man. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, uh, but yeah. yeah if I just if somebody be, hasn't done that yet, that'd be amazing. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's probably in uh, No Wait Elseworlds is the DC version. Yeah, so a what, what if? if? A what if? Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, what if Iron uh, Man was injured in the Great War? <laughs> <laughs> in the war between the states. <laughs> Uh, Tony was a rail but yeah, I just think it'll be very interesting to look at <laughs> look at this uh, portrayal in ten to twenty years and see, well, probably twenty years since we're almost up to ten years since then. I don't know. Tony, Tony Stark in the Civil War is. is getting dangerously close to Wild Wild yeah. West. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, that script was originally a uh, was it a Superman movie? Were you guys telling me about this? Uh, the, it's got it's got elements of it. Of it. Yeah. Uh, what's the what's okay. the name of that producer? Uh, John Peters. John have, Peters. Uh, have I had this the, conversation the, with you guys on the podcast before? Is that when we've talked about maybe, it? Maybe, but I don't know. A, a good well, the reason I know it, and probably again. the. Okay, well, if anybody's curious about this, Kevin Smith, there's like a Kevin Smith yeah, talk right. where he explains explains the history of this. So the the John yeah. Peters Kevin Smith Superman movie, the climax was a giant spider monster. Uh, so apparently, John Peters just fucking loves giant spider monsters. So the the yeah. the other interesting thing that about bringing up this this scenario of you know Tony being in the in the current war zone um, is that again not to, to leap too far ahead but this is a recurring theme of his character as well you see in uh, the most recent Avengers movie another vendetta against him because of people killed by Stark weapons in a war zone like the recurring theme yeah. of these this entire series is Tony creates things that kill people and then he has to kill those things yeah. here's, a, here's a question uh, that I had about the, the background what happens before the film starts do you think that Tony actually designed any of these weapons uh, yeah. because he, he is clearly brilliant like he's tactically brilliant so. Yeah. But they, they're very careful never to show any evidence that he specifically has designed a weapon. They, they allow you to believe that he may have just been living off of what the company already does and never making any decisions uh, in terms of, like, blueprints or ideas for well, how this can look more badass. At the very least, you know, the, you know, at the, very least the world must at the very least, the world must think that he does it because, yes, because if, 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 yeah. if, if, if it, like if it were well yeah. known that he was just you know the playboy face of the company, the terrorists would have just killed him. They wouldn't have you know, well, like you yeah. must build us a Jericho I mean, missile. And, and that, that's clearly that's the other thing. Like, it, that is clearly well known in America in like the Us Weekly kind of 
That's uh, true. Like, yeah, where uh, all of our greatest audience. weapons manufacturers but, are featured. You know how much? Do well, we he's know? on the cover of Rolling Stone. Yeah. What can he say? Uh, you know, he's just he's is the the millionaire playboy, he's and everyone in America Musk, recognizes yeah. that. But how much do you know about uh, any brilliant industrialist from another nation, other than the the possible name of their company? Uh, I'm I'm not I'm I, also I not doubt the that, leader of of like a terrorist cell whose job is to obtain yes. these weapons. Yes. I, I would and say who's been the, hired by the other, yeah. the former uh, CEO of the, the company? The, the piece of the, the piece of it that I think is is Go most ahead. interesting is, or that plays to the idea that he does have some hand, and you could chalk it up to just a sales job. But when he does mm-hmm. the Jericho presentation, he's very proud of that, and that that seems. Yeah. Like oh yeah, I mean, he, he believes all this hand. stuff is his yeah. because he technically owns it. Um, yeah, I got and I got he, the impression that the yeah, entire you, company is his own. Yeah. But hold on. The reason I ask the question is because um, you could say that Obadiah creates Iron Man because he has hired these people to kill Tony, and that's that's the uh, the impetus for him ending up in this crucible uh, where he forges himself. But you could also say that uh, uh, Raza creates him. Uh, I mean, you could also say Yinsen creates him because he gives he gives him the the battery that saves his life. Uh, and then that sort of um, affects the uh, vision that he has for the arc reactor, putting it into his chest. Um, but you could say that Raza creates him because his reputation is as a man who makes weapons. But to our knowledge, he, he may have never made a weapon before this. And it's, it's his possibly false international reputation that leads him to end up in a situation where he has to create a weapon for the first time. And he uses his genius and comes up with a way to do it that no one has ever done before and turns himself into uh, both a shield and an energy sword at the same time, turning himself into the weapon or the missile itself. Okay. Um, I mean, possible. I don't think I, – I, I think this may be, you know, perhaps over, overly reading. I think, I think that would be if, – if that were, like, the intended saying, I think that would have been, like, explicitly stated in a way because I think that would be, like, a compelling angle on the character. I, I, th- and, I think but it's, so many of the things in the film are not explicitly stated. I would I would say that the ambiguity I, is probably the, the more likely. Here's here's the point that, that I would argue, it on, and I think D- Derek has, has been trying to say something as well. It, it's I've been trying to say something for ever, a while. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll cycle through. Um, the, I would say that he has had a hand in designing them, if only because the dirtier he is as a character at the beginning, the more compelling his drive to clean himself up thematically. Uh, yeah, and yeah. you know, there's all this. The, you know, there's also the usual like connection with his father, and his father helped design the atomic bomb. Yeah, like, we're told he, several times, many, many times. Know, they really want I think us to know that. It's clear that we are meant to believe that his lineage includes people who have enormous technical design skills. Yeah, mm-hmm. he graduated oh, yeah. from MIT so, at 17. It is. There is no question about Gates. whether he has the skill to do this. I just. It's, it's never clear whether he is a lazy playboy just living off the money from weapons or whether he has actively gotten involved in the making of weaponry. Uh, My impression the, is that he, he is involved. They're not giving any information either way. That's true. You say you think that he That's, is? Yes, that, that is, is my impression from what okay. yeah. okay. That is my impression. Indeed. All right. So uh, uh, I want to kind of backtrack to... If, 
if we yeah, may. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's yeah, please do. To uh, sir, the, in- the the issue of the representation of uh, the terrorists, and okay. I mean, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure we even necessarily need else. to wait. I'm not sure we even need to necessarily wait ten or twenty, how many years to mm-hmm. evaluate it. I watching watching it this time, uh, it's it's rough. There's there's a lot of it's playing into a lot of sort of major stereotypes that we see in particularly sort of Middle Eastern terrorists. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there's no question that it's cliche. Yeah. Oh yeah, but I mean they're bumbling in a way that we see in a, a lot of representations of them, and they're sort of yeah, being used as proxies point. for the white guy and as sort of the easily disposable villains for the other white guy uh, in a lot of ways. And I just, the, the entire time I was watching it in that sort of section of the movie where they're relevant, uh, I was thinking a lot about the documentary Real Bad Arabs, which does a really good job of sort of laying out uh, the, the history of these kinds of representations and sort of pointing out these stereotypes in ways. Like, the bumbling Arab stereotype was not one that I was necessarily familiar with before watching it, and then it sort of lays out sort of the many, many examples of it, and it's pretty compelling. Most I think I, who, who in this movie is particularly <laughs> bumbling? All, all of them, for, all of them, for the fact that they have no oversight of Tony. The fact that the fact that they have well, this this on. constant yeah, surveillance of him, but don't use it. That well, they no, they I, just I, let I, him build this weapon. I have with your summary, because I don't think it's clear at all that he's not making a missile. The the blueprints are deliberately designed to be ambiguous, and they they show all of those pieces laying out that uh, you can't tell what they're going into. He's deliberately kept the suit in in pieces uh, until the final uh, construction. Yeah, but they, um, he gets to the point where he's got a pneumatic leg on and he's testing it, and they look at it and go, what's he doing in there? It's, oh, okay. it's, I don't, it's up I don't until that, that point. He's, he's making a face way. mask for himself while he's doing yeah. it. They could have easily had... You know, yeah. there's clearly like 50 of these of these guys in this uh, in this cell. They could have had like yeah. two guys in that room with uh, with AK-47s mm. just constantly guarding them while they're making this thing, and they yeah. constantly have surveillance and like they're clearly not paying attention because Raza, the main guy, is like, "Where's Tony Stark?" And the other guy's like, "He was there a second ago," uh-huh. and like a second ago, meaning they have been putting this armor on him for the last hour, and I didn't think anything of it. Yeah. The, the biggest problem that I had in this situation was the fact that they are physically in a literal cave because it seemed more likely to me that they would be in some kind of building, uh, perhaps a warehouse of some type. Um, yeah, they're, that they're they, in like the a surveillance shaft, would be a I little guess? better. But, the, yeah, I mean, I, I think that Afghanistan has a lot of abandoned mines, so they probably, it does exist, but that would be the reason I would imagine that they don't have a bunch of cameras pointing every direction because the, the space is not uh, uh, well-suited to that, why there isn't a camera right over his workbench at all times. If you yeah. wanted to uh, rationalize Why they're not in the same room can, with him the whole time. Yeah. If, you wanted to, if you wanted to rationalize it, there's two things you could say. One is that if they're trying to keep him somewhere where no one could find him, a cave is going to be harder to find mm-hmm. than a house. And the second would be yeah. just for purely thematic reasons. The cave has a certain level of symbolism associated to it that the country yeah. manor does not. Yeah. True. But they also yes. they've also uh, put him like weirdly deep in this cave. It's very clear that like probably a good half mile into this cave, because like once he gets the uh, the mm-hmm. Iron Man suit up and running and an explosion goes off, it takes those terrorists like a good minute or two of running to actually get to him. 
Yeah. Why are why is there not more guarding here? <laughs> I mean, Derek. There's yeah, it, there's also this weird the thing too where show. they it's a thing that they seem to try to do, but not really. Um, in like characterizing the Ten Rings as this kind of international mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sort of organization, where like <laughs> Yinsen is like, oh, he's speaking Hungarian, or you know, they speak yeah, Farsi yeah. and Hungarian and Afghan and Arabic. Yeah, and, they they um, name he names seven languages to begin with, and then Hungarian shows up as an eighth language later. I, I actually meant I to look on on a yeah. map to see where and there's so the, so there is this the way in which I mean I I don't know if. I don't know if the you know if this is something that's in the if this is a nod to the original comics or not, but the, there's it's like there's this effort to sort of distance them from like these are generic Middle Eastern mm-hmm. terrorists, but then in the actual kind of like pulling off of those characterizations, like mm-hmm. you don't really see them making any effort to. <laughs> well, and oh, I hey, think, look, this guy is and Hungarian. I, and, and I'm pretty sure the guy speaking Hungarian is still wearing a pakol, an yeah. Afghan hat. Uh-huh. So he look, he still yeah. looks like, you know, a generic uh, <laughs> Middle Eastern terrorist in that kind of way. It was well, like, oh, he's speaking Hungarian, so we're not being racist. On the, the Ten Rings front, so th- this was their attempt to hint at the Mandarin as a future villain, because the Mandarin's classic mm-hmm. symbolism is Ten Rings, and it does... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it, it, yeah. the Mandarin symbolism is he has ten magic rings. And so they call okay. this organization the Ten Rings. And then in, yeah, and then in, uh, in Iron Man 3, this comes back in a, in a different form. But it's, it, was their, mm-hmm. it was their attempt to shoehorn that bit of foreshadowing into mm-hmm. what was a, a pretty cut and dry sort of modernization of the classic Iron Man origin story. So mm-hmm. it, it, if it, uh, Derek, if it seemed half-hearted, that's because it was. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I like the the mention of the ten rings and the explanation that uh, you don't know, you don't need to know who any of these individuals are. They are essentially local warlords in ten different regions who each, I assume, from the title, have their own ring of like uh, organized crime, which they use. Stark weaponry, or you know, AK-47s, or whatever local weaponry they can get uh, to uh, maintain their iron grip. Um, but the the languages, uh, just in case anyone uh, is interested, uh, that Yinsen mentions are Arabic, Urdu, Dari, Pashto, Mongolian, Farsi, and Russian, uh, and then later Hungarian. Ah, the Hungarians. Those perfidious Hungarians. Yeah, but I mean, it goes all the way to Mongolia and Russia. Central Asia. Yeah, that's all Central Asian languages. But those are, I mean, those a lot of those are affected by uh, the fall of the Soviet Union, right? So it's it's areas in where they are likely to be in contact with each other, or each have their own kind of post general uh, societal collapse. Yeah, Yeah, um, Yeah. I mean, it's twenty years later, but still. Um, <laughs> uh, so, oh, so the idea that uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, Bester, you you were before we got off. You you were talking about uh, about the portrayal of these characters and the implausibility of them not noticing Tony building a a robot version of himself. 
a um, giant, like, nine-foot-tall robot. Yeah. He built this in secret while being surveilled for three months by terrorists. I, I do want to get... I do want to give a little bit of credit. Uh, I always forget the name of the actor who played Raza, but he, he also played, like, the, cap- oh, the first yeah. captain in J.J. Abrams' Star Trek. And he, Ferran Tahir. Yes, mm-hmm. Ferran Tahir. Um, I, I give him a little bit of credit just because, look, we know Jeff Bridges is the villain of the movie from the start. But... Um, they're both a villain because they're both bald! That's true. That's, that's the unifier. <laughs> Derek. So Derek's the I villain. Think I, um, I don't think I immediately figured that out. I'm the, le- the, blown. I'm the, the least evil person the theaters, here. That was the, not immediately obvious to me. But, but I mean, the, 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 then what I'm about to say holds true for you. I mean, like, the... Okay. For on to here, like, any ostensibly anyone could have been cast in that part. It's not a particularly big role, but what is required of it is this is going to be the ostensible villain for two-thirds of the movie. Mm-hmm. For all you know, this is going to be the villain. Um, and yeah. he doesn't have a lot to do. So he, at the very least, needs to project some gravitas. And the, the analog mm-hmm. that I can think of is in Batman Begins, where Liam Neeson is the villain. But you don't notice it for three quarters of the movie because you've convinced yourself that Ken Watanabe is the villain at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. Because or Ken Watanabe has that gravitas. Um, or the Scarecrow. Okay. Yeah, or the Scarecrow, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I so mean, I, I, the I character is the villain in his own world. Yeah, but I, from from a pure film perspective, I okay. appreciate yeah. the casting of that actor and the performance that mm-hmm. he gives because oh, yeah. without, yeah. again, without a lot to do, he does a very good job of portraying kind of a, a restrained menace that plausibly could have mm-hmm. been the the major villain. Yeah, because it could have just been like the other, the other sort of main terrorist, the like the guy with the beard, who's like, "You will build us this yeah. missile." If that had been like the yeah. representation of it, that would yeah. be a far less intimidating terrorist yeah, the guy organization. Who looks like <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, fair. he does look kind of like Bluto now that you mention it. <laughs> Is this a stealth Popeye remake? <laughs> oh God! Um, uh, Iron while Man we're talking about spinach, Popeye. Uh, was someone about to say something? While we're talking about Pepper Potts. Uh, Pepper Potts. Problematic expressions of race. One Speaking of Popeye, off. actually. Uh, have any of you guys seen the, the old, like, original Popeye cartoons that are super racist by today's standards? I just kind oh, of yeah. assume that okay. it's, it's uh, a cartoon but, made in the 30s. Yeah, that's fair. Um, the I, I had a real problem with both uh, Jensen and Rhodey. Uh, because it seems like they are the characters whose characterization has, let's see, how do I put this? Um, when they're on the plane flying to Afghanistan, Rhodey specifically says to uh, Tony, you are constitutionally incapable of being responsible. He's just telling Tony what Tony is like. Then Jensen yes. uh, wakes Tony up after having saved him, and tells Tony that these missiles and this weaponry is his, these are his legacy. Uh, he just tells him that he's a bad person. Uh, and it, they're kind of, they're the ones whose job it is to speak truth to power and just tell Tony what he's doing wrong. Uh, and you don't get that again, I don't think. Like, um, we agree with each of these characters. Later, Jeff Bridges, Obadiah, tells Tony things that he's doing wrong, but you don't agree with him. And the only other character, I think, who does that is Pepper at the very end when she finally 
points out to Tony, you know, you kind of left me back there in a previous act of the film, and the movie just <laughs> forgot about me. Uh, you, that was mean, and you can't do that. And then he kind of realizes that and presumably grows in subsequent films. I'll, 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 agree, I'll agree with so, you like, on, the, on the, the Jensen side, just because he, he, he very clearly is kind of like a, he's, he's the magical mentor figure, and he's exotic and foreign. Yeah. Uh, Middle Eastern yeah. guy who speaks English and is an academic. R- Rody, I, I don't. Victim. I don't buy Rody as much just because. And again, this this is down the road. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> Rody as a character has a tremendous amount of arc ahead of him and a tremendous presence in the films. Not necessarily Terrence Howard, but not in this film though, uh, yeah. because later in the film, I think his other big, like, monologue lines are when Tony comes to him and says, hey, I need your, uh, or I want to consult with you on this project. Uh, I need your help. And Rhodey only asks him questions about whether it's going to continue to support the military-industrial complex. And when he finds out that it's a personal thing, he just berates Tony for letting down everyone around him and does, is not interested at all in caring for his friend or helping him in what other, whatever pursuit he has questioned. Yeah, but uh, Tony's he, kind he, of a dick. All of his, like, loyalty only exists while they need a character to be loyal to him. And the moment that they need a character to oppose him, Rhodey takes that place. He doesn't actually have any, like, will of his own. He's just uh, existing as uh, what the movie needs someone to react to Tony to do. I don't, I don't buy that. Uh, also, when, okay. uh, I really liked in, uh, in your list, dude, where you got to Pepper. Uh, and yeah. it was the only other character is Pepper, blah, blah, blah. When we have already established that is literally the only other character. You've named all five yeah, significant characters in the movie. <laughs> the there was no one else who possibly it could have been. Oh, yeah. oh and yeah. then later, yeah. Happy Hogan uh, totally uh, chews them out. Yeah. I, I should have said the only every, other time. Because I think those Jarvis are the three instances. Does this. Yeah, when Jarvis does like, this is how Tony relates e- to yeah, characters even, in the Even film. that fucking robot yeah. arm, when he's handing him the heart, he's like, kind of like, mm-hmm. ah, do you really deserve this? You know who we who we actually haven't mentioned yet is uh, Christine Everhart. <laughs> oh right! Yeah, how can we forget? Remember her? She's in this oh, film. Oh, Leslie Bibb. Yeah, Leslie yeah. Bibb. Bro, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and lot. she also. <laughs> oh yeah, she yeah. You're right. She does. No. She does tell Tony that he's being terrible multiple uh, times. Several times. Yes. Uh, she does that a lot. That's really that's the only function she serves. She shows up. She shows up three times to call him on his shit. Yeah, what do you expect from well, a brown grad? The the first time, uh, she's a reporter. Okay, she sleeps with him. Uh, I I had kind of assumed that this was a uh, um, uh, Katie Holmes in Thank You for Smoking uh, kind of relationship where she's she's really trying to get the dirt on him for to find out who the real Tony Stark is. So she sleeps with him. Then he goes off and disappears in the desert. I would love to know what article she wrote after having slept with him, and then he is presumably killed the next day. Um, and <laughs> she was what, under what surveillance that, that entire time in Vanity Fair. Uh, but he, there's no evidence that he even man. reads the article when he comes back. You know, uh, she's just is, angry with him. This is a bit of a tangent. This is a bit of a tangent. Go, but wait, dude, wait, what you're saying? Here. Dude, what you're saying? really makes me want to see 
a newspaper film that is set in just like the Marvel universe. Yeah. Just like oh, the yeah. front page yeah, the daily, the daily or Eagles just story, something yeah. where mm-hmm. it's all it's just all about the reporters who are covering yeah. these yes. these world events. We have to put we, we got Marvel Marvel by Kurt Busiek. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. It's a graphic novel that is basically from the point of view of like oh, a, that's that? Okay. a, well, a, uh, a newspaper <laughs> like photographer and writer. Uh, Damn it. We should. Well, that well, that's even better. We don't have to pitch them an entirely new idea. We say we have we have a pitch for your property. Yeah. We're gonna do it this way. And yeah, it could be a newspaper drama. We could put it on. Mm-hmm. We could they could put it on Netflix. And yeah. yes, yeah, do it. I think that would be brilliant. Yes. I got page one. I slept with Iron Man. I can't do it. We gotta get that Spider Man menace thing out there. Yes. Um, Those royalty checks are gonna come. Oh, yeah. Just. Yeah, you yeah. call us Kevin Feige. <laughs> yes, you have probably pronounced man. Yeah, I'm, I'm going. Yeah, uh, it is Feige, right? I think it's Feige, or maybe Feige. Feige. It's Feige. It's not. It's not yeah, Feige as I thought it was for a long what time. It looks like, but yeah. Yeah, I definitely thought it was uh, Feige, and then somebody said it out loud, "I was like, there's no way that's how that man's name is pronounced," and it was. Feige. Uh, Feige. But yeah, Christine Eberhardt, she's in the film. Yeah. Yeah. And she, uh... And she's in the second film, too, And right? she oh, is. I she? Remember that. And she's going to be in the next Captain America film. What? Bring I, her back. I don't remember this character at all. I remember going, like, who is this character? Like, while watching this movie, I didn't remember her at all. I certainly don't remember her in another well, movie. Well, how many times have you sat down and watched Iron Man versus the number of times you sat down and watched Iron Man 2? <laughs> that's, that's true. I've only I've seen this movie four times. I think I've only seen Iron Man 2 once. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'll have to watch it again soon. Yeah, preview of coming attractions. <laughs> yeah, according to according to Wikipedia, it's Feige. 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 Mm. Kevin Feige, PGA. <laughs> that sounds like a terrible sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what character I would like to see come back in a in a future, uh, or have a cameo in a future film? Wait, wait. The little... Go ahead. Mm, is it a character in this film? Yes. Is it Bill Gates? <laughs> Was Bill Gates in this film? No picture of him, yeah. Um, yeah. oh. For a moment, I thought that Stanley Ariana Huffington was one Hefner. of the women standing next to Stan Lee. Uh, there is a woman who's standing right behind him who looks almost exactly like Ariana Huffington like 15 years ago. It's a very stealth cameo. Okay, who do you want to see? Um, the little kid who sees Iron Man on the Ferris wheel and drops his ice cream. <laughs> That's probably some producer's kid. I know, but I'd love to see, you know, that, because that's the first person who sees Iron Man in the suit. He's not a public figure yet. That kid, no doubt, was, you know, telling everyone who he knew for the rest of his life that he had seen this guy, and no one would believe him. Yep. Probably got beat up at school. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, he could be like the villain of Iron Man 4. He's grown bitter. Remember me? You You made me drop my ice cream. He's the ice cream man. Cold There's a small, in the Venn diagram of people that he's told the story to, there's a small overlap between people he told immediately after it happened and before he was a public figure, and then uh, people who, you know, could verify that he'd been telling this story before Iron Man was a public figure. So some people would believe him, and they would be his best friends forever. Yes. 
and they would form the group of the Ferris Man's evil coterie. <laughs> the Ferris Man. The Ferris Man. Oh my god! The Ferris Man! F-E-R-R-U-S! The human wheel! Fantastic! Yes. Yes. I had not intended that, but I'm taking credit for it. Darn it. So he is, like, strung up in the Ferris wheel, and he rolls forward in it. Firing missiles from he rolls forward, the not sideways. Man, Ferris. No wait, are you saying that he's tumbling end over end, or oh, is yeah. he rolling? No, he's totally like, like a Ferris wheel. And his henchmen are in the little baskets hanging from the wheel, and they pop out. Yes, maybe. The <laughs> maybe he's, maybe he has the inhuman power of controlling Ferris wheels. So, like, he goes to London and he destroys the Millennium Eye. (laughs) This is starting to sound like a Batman villain. He's obsessed with... He had a dramatic experience with Ferris wheels, and now he's obsessed with Ferris wheels. I'm just hoping... I'm just hoping that, like, camp superhero... Like, there's a camp superhero cycle Mm -hmm. in, like, five years Mm -hmm. where, where we get camp versions of... Of like Iron Man. Oh, and, uh, just all the all the that kind games. of camp. I thought you meant yeah. like a summer camp. Like in, yeah, like I a thought you meant like a summer camp like for kids like, who love superheroes. No, it's like or a space like, camp, or it's a superhero, superhero camp, and or, you get to meet uh, some fat schlubby guy dressed up as a superhero. <laughs> yeah. You can or even like make it part Xavier. of the MCU. You know, you just you, you do some kind of weird time travel bullshit. And create create a universe of films, all of which are directed by Joel Schumacher, yeah, yeah. featuring all the heroes you know and love, camped up. Also, dude, to if the you're max. looking for a fat schlubby guy to dress as a superhero at your superhero camp, I hear, <laughs> Val, I hear Val Kilmer is available. Nice. Oh, of course burn. I'm Crunchy the Clown. The new just, Val Kilmer picture. I'm just saying that, you know, Charles Xavier could easily run a summer camp for his gifted yeah. kids. And then he could yeah. have, like, a, a summer camp full of, well, they can't be mutants in the Marvel, uh, in the MCU, but, you know. Yeah. Just kids, essentially. Just kids with big heads. Do, do you think that, with, there's some, that there's a, a small percentage of people who flunk out of Charles Xavier's school for the gifted <laughs> yeah, the and end up like maintain? the 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 uh, Marvel version of Squibs from Harry Potter, <laughs> where they, they like have some kind of really crappy power, like a guy can move only pencils with his mind or something. And he, actually, this so, is uh, X- similar to a story in, in uh, New X Men, in Grant, Astro City by Kurt Busiek. Say, Grant Morrison's New X Men. There, there is yeah. the remedial class okay. at Xavier's school where they kind of shunt yeah. the kids with crappy awesome. power. That is what I wanted to know. Yeah. Like, so, the like, guy who's made entirely of paraffin. Go on yeah. to. Uh, <laughs> I wish I was. I the, wish I was making that mutant up, but he exists. But my, my favorite is is still. What was that Nick? Okay. There, one of one of the mutants in that remedial class is made entirely of paraffin. He is, <laughs> he's just like he's a living blob of paraffin man. My, my, he was a normal know. human until until he hit puberty, and then he, his skin, his flesh, mysteriously turned into paraffin. My, my, I don't know what his name is. My favorite is paraffin man. Still, my favorite of them is still um, is still Beak because he. Wait, is that a real? Oh, okay. <laughs> the, his the, name the, is yeah. Glob Herman. <laughs> 
I, I, Nick, I did not realize you were actually describing a character from Grant Morrison's new X-Men. I, I was. We were going off on flights of fancy. No. Oh. No. no, I that's was describing... That's, it's <laughs> that's that guy in the background. That's Glob Herman. Wow. He's just a Perfect. giant pink blob with, so, uh, with, uh, pink, uh, with human <laughs> parts inside. So that is the guy... It's exactly that kind of guy who would be a counselor or a guest at the fantasy superhero camp no. where it's like... Children yeah. and adults with too much money and time going to live out like a fantasy lifestyle and meet superheroes, the, the, the uh, and guest, also doing like the convention circuits. The, the guest of, of honor would, and I'll, I'll drive drive on this point because I believe in this. It would be Beak. Are you familiar with Beak? Oh, yes. I think so, we've talked about him in the opening to a podcast. Before. Oh, we might have actually. Yes, we have. We might because have. one of the one of the X Men you gave us all I useless did. mutants, yeah, and yeah. I brought up yeah. Beak. And you pointed out that Beak was not useless enough for this list. I guess I guess that's true. You got me there. I just I love the fact that when he got bird powers, his chief bird power was he had hollow bones. <laughs> God, wow. isn't, that a, isn't that a Parks and Rec? Or no, not a Parks and Rec. It's a um, uh, a Thirty Rock like running joke, isn't it? Who, who has like one bones? of uh, um, hollow bones. Oh crap! Who is the? Well, anyway, yeah. I, I know you're talking about the, the awful X Men. Um, um. Okay. So uh, right. at, at, yeah, I was going to say at this point we're we're at about uh, we're at about the hour forty mark. So unless anyone has any other real topics, I think we we could move into final judgments. Unless there is something that we I, need I would to like, dive deep on. There there are a few more notes. scenes I want to go over, um, mostly having to do with Pepper. Uh, the, the scene where she is digging around in his chest in some kind of mysterious fashion. <laughs> uh, and it really comes home that this thing... Because I thought that, honestly, it wasn't until this last time that I watched the movie, I, I had understood the explanation for the electromagnet before. But it wasn't until this time that I realized that that thing does not replace his heart. I thought that his heart had somehow <laughs> been destroyed. And this thing was doing was serving two functions. It was to, to keep the... the Magnetic slivers that were I, somehow I thought that they were in his bloodstream and they were moving down his arteries into his organs and that was the the danger and that but it would hold them kind of static in his bloodstream and keep them from moving further towards his organs and that this thing was somehow pumping his blood for him. Uh, nope. nope. It, it wasn't until watching it this time that I found out that no, it's just supposed to be somehow. Like in the same space or right next to it's or a heart above shield. his heart? It's yeah. a magnetic shield for his heart. Okay, and she can reach like her entire hand into his chest cavity, into the space, and pull out this wire that is just loose. Very deep chest. <laughs> yes. It's just. And yeah, it, remember, this is all surgery that was done in an Afghan cave. Yes. <laughs> in a cave with a box with of scraps! <laughs> So I really think uh, uh, I really think that doctor is way more impressive than Tony Stark in terms of what he was able to do because that. oh, that's much more impressive. He should have been the one to get out of the cave. Uh, I got a car battery and some wires and a magnet. <laughs> Can I save this billionaire's life? And Tony's like, hmm, I've got the makings of a m several smaller missiles. Can I make uh, some wires wrapped around each other? <laughs> you describe it like an episode of MacGyver. We got <laughs> I mean, it is I a mean, very MacGyver solution, is, right? Yeah, it is. 
Jensen uh, was actually the basis for the character of MacGyver, but they decided to called, make him white yeah, it was, when they westernized it. Was it was originally called Ho MacGyver, but they changed it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a lot like Bruce Lee is supposed to be, or Bruce Lee coming up with the idea for Kung Fu, yeah. and they took it away and gave it to, uh, was it David Carradine? It was David, One of the Carradine. David yeah, David Carradine. David Carradine. David Carradine. Yes. One of the, uh, Robert Carradine, star <laughs> of Kung Fu. Yeah, the, the Carradine. I thought it was like Jim Carradine or Biff, you know, one of the other Biff Carradines. Biff Carradine. Uh, <laughs> Carradine. Biff Carradine. Carradine. Did you say Jareth? Like the Carradine. Like David Bowie's character from Labyrinth? Jareth? So Cherith, um, as in uh, Andy Cherith Rose, Cherith Yeah. Oh, of course. Cherith My mistake. Cherith Cooster's Rocky um, the Bodyguard. And Cherith the Biff, Biff, yes. Biff uh, Carradine. Biff. Garth Carradine. And Bill the Cowboy. Um, Bill Carradine. So Mad Dog that Carradine. That terrible scene where they have no chemistry, and for some reason Aces Pepper stops Carradine. while he's dying to reassure him that he's going to be okay. The way that... Nobody would. <laughs> but it's um, funny. Do you think, do you I guess. think that John Carradine was disappointed when he had, like, David and Keith and they were kind of tough-strapping men and then Robert Carradine came out? Like, did, did he look at him and say, oh, that's the real Carradine? Or did he say, you're not my Carradine? I mean, I mean, John Carradine was not, not like a super buff, tough guy. Nope. Quite the opposite. So probably, probably if any of those sons he related to, it would probably have been Robert. Maybe. It's true. He was a nerd. Yeah, he was much more like Robert than either David or Keith. Mm-hmm. At least based on like his film persona, I have no idea what the man was like in his real life. And hell, I don't know what David Car- Carradine's life in his real life. He might be biting the heads off chickens left and right. But David Carradine's uh, dead. I don't think he's doing anything right now. Oh, Robert. Robert Carradine. Excuse me. <laughs> I got my Carradine. There were too many fucking Carradines. Beef Carradine. Sounds delicious. Jake Carradine, but Beef Carradine is good too. Sorry, dude, you're you're trying to say something. You had a point somewhere in there. We uh, derailed it with Carradine. That's fine. Uh, just another scene of of Gwyneth Paltrow being criminally underused, and these two good actors not having any chemistry or having good chemistry at being awkward, but not awkward in a way that is, uh, I don't know, believable or feels like they actually know each other. Um, it feels like the only time that they were on set was, like, they never rehearsed this together or anything. That, that This was, like, the first take. But I guess it being impro- improvised would have a lot to do with that. Um, and... Uh, let's see. What was the other thing? Robert Carradine uh, was in Mean Streets. Yeah. And he, he played the street. <laughs> <laughs> Was he the mean one? Uh, he was the one that... Which mean street was he? Uh, he was, he the, was one... the kind of nebbish one. <laughs> he was uh, He was the one who killed David Carradine in Mean Streets. Oh my god, now I'm imagining like a Pixar version of Mean Streets. <laughs> <laughs> starring actual streets. Oh who are god. mean. Oh my god. It would god. be like Inside Out meets Cars. That would be amazing. <laughs> Um, yeah, I feel like we talked about every specific scene I wanted to talk about, so we can move on right. to final thoughts. All right, all right. Wait, I've got I, I have one note from my uh, from my notes that I want to mention. So right before the fight, uh, Pepper and I think and Colson 
are teaming up and they're like looking for the Ironmonger suit. And they find, I guess, like a prototype of it. And Pepper says, I thought it would be bigger. And my note here is definitely the name of at least one piece of Pepper Obadiah fanfic. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which must exist. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. I don't... Okay, all right. Sure. <laughs> it must exist, uh, dude. It must. I, hear, I... I, I guess it probably <laughs> does by the time, you know... Uh, you know, Pepper Pepper was upset when Tony presumably died and you know what are we found going comfort to do in about Obadiah's this arms? Yeah. Well, you know she, how it goes. You know, she lost her job security. Uh, mm-hmm. and presumably at that point she would be employed by the Stark Corporation, so Obadiah would probably hold her future in his hands. Uh, among other things. Yeah. It's a man's world, after all. It's a man's life <laughs> in the royal uh, Well, <laughs> It's a man's life at Stark Industries. <laughs> um, it's a pig's life. Born of a broken man. So, despite all of my uh, nitpicking, I, I do think that this is a really good film. Uh, dis- also, despite, I would say, some much larger problems with certain aspects of it. Um, but I, I feel like it is... Marvel Studios, this is their first film. It's the first film in the official uh, MCU and they came out of the gate swinging. Um, I feel like they they found a way to take the the like the fleshed out character from the comic book um, and make a solid movie about that. That neither like winks at the audience and says, "We know this is just a comic book movie." Uh, it doesn't have to be like dismissive of its origins. It, it embraces its sort of four-color palette, but it's not so garish that it's off-putting to people who aren't going to see a comic book film the way that Spider-Man's 1, 2, and 3 kind of were. Um, I feel like at the time, Spider-Man 1 probably did really good, but they go along and they get more and more entrenched in the comic book palette, and it's it's all very bright and in-your-face. This is a movie where the, the origins of the colors come through, but they are perfectly suited to the cinematic presentation that we get. Um, they've, they've made a good comic book film, but also a good film, uh, at least by the era's standards. I, I hope in the future that we're going to get, we're going to have higher expectations for background characters in films like this. But I think that we get those, like in Avengers and such. Anyway, those are my final thoughts. Dylan. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Deutsch kind of uh, mentioned everything that I had to say. I mean, I think, you know, it's not a film without weaknesses. Um, you know, cer- I think certainly the, really all the villains, it's kind of hard to figure out, you know, any motivation beyond just the generic. Um, and, you know, as, as we've been saying, the, the kind of secondary characters. But I think what this film does really well, in addition to it being a tight script and just having great performances from pretty much everyone involved um, is the fact um, that it really did its job in terms of setting up this, you know, the MCU, right? Um, as, as this kind of fully formed sort of universe. Um, what, God damn it, get that off the screen. <laughs> what character is that? <laughs> That's Mr. Doll. Mr. Doll? waiting for that camp comeback. <laughs> so does 
distracting. Uh, uh, what was I saying? Uh, setting up uh, the MCU. Yeah, so weaker, weaker secondary uh, characters. But what this film uh, does well is is like set up this universe and set up um, the you know like the even just like the the other Iron Man films. I mean, where we do get more from some of those secondary uh, characters, like Pepper in, in particular, um, we really get a lot more of her in um, Iron Man 2, and especially Iron Man 3, if I remember. Yeah, she has a lot to yeah. do in Iron Man So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I think, um, yeah. So, you know, not this time, but um, as Terrence Howard says, next time, next time baby. Next time. <laughs> Not for Darren's hour. Not for Darren's hour. (laughs) Who for some reason cost more than Don Cheadle, which still confuses me. How could Terrence Howard cost more than Don Cheadle? That doesn't make any sense. That was why they changed it? Yes. I did not know. I I was very curious about the conversation behind recasting him because I thought that his performance was kind of the weakest in the film. When I first saw it, I was like, yeah. Terrence Howard was well, he wanted Well, he wanted too but much I money. But it again, I felt yeah. like it was not that bad. He, he, he just didn't have anything not, to work with. So He was not recast. He walked away from the offer that was made. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. well, that's a shame. Yeah. There's, and we, uh, we can good talk, choice, we, Terrence Howard. Yeah, we, we can talk about this probably in a, in a, a later, probably Iron Man 2, because that's when it's most relevant, but... The economics yeah. of the way that Marvel actors are cast and paid is actually very interesting. It, it's from kind of like a Moneyball perspective. Uh, but Ter- Terrence Howard was not playing that game. Okay. Anyway, Derek, you, okay. you were uh, you were in your final thoughts. You had finished your final. That was my final. Thought. I think I, I think I thought I'd concluded it. I with think a, he with is a witty quip. I think <laughs> he has finally thought all of his thoughts. Uh, Nick Bester, then your final thoughts. Uh, Mr. Well, William Marshall. Was that was that Blackula? My Blackula? Okay, I can live with that. Um, am I Blackula? <laughs> that will be that, that will be the name of my memoir. Am I Blackula? <laughs> you, you have a form of uh, philosophical solipsism where instead of believing that you might possibly be God, you believe that you might actually be Blackula. I think that's I think that's an entirely reasonable delusion. I will it will be my it will be my life's work to get that in the DSM. Oh god, please make vampires kiss too. Please make vampires kiss too. <laughs> yes. Alright. Uh, well what once we can get Nick Cage on the hook for our other uh, movie that we've pitched no, to him. Yourself. Oh, okay. It, you've seen Vampire's Kiss and Blackula. And then you I'm not actually seen Blackula. Or go insane somehow and come to believe I'm not. I've seen Vampire's Kiss. Yes. Okay. All right. Let's actually do my final thought. Um, What was that? Oh. um, So Derek Derek mentioned something about sort of the weakness of uh, the villains here. And, I mean, I feel like that's a problem with the MCU movies in general. Probably with the exception of Loki. There hasn't really been a particularly memorable... A lot of the times, the villains aren't particularly memorable. It's very easy to, you know, you probably remember what they look like because they're like visually distinctive, but you don't necessarily. I could not tell you what the name of the villain of Dor- of, Dar- of Thor: The Dark World is. I know what he looks like. I know who he's played by. I don't fucking know what that guy's name is. Uh, yeah. And I think that I think that's true for a lot of the uh, of the villains in these movies. Guardians, so, especially, yeah. the villains pretty weak in that one. Yeah. Uh, and and that's one of that's one of my favorite uh, MCU movies. 
So clearly, clearly, weak villains is not uh, not that big of a problem uh, for these movies. But it's certainly it's clear that with the exception of Loki, who's clearly kind of a, the breakout character in a lot of ways, um, and other than in the Avengers, is not really the primary antagonist. Um, yeah. The villain development is not where they're putting their energy, which you know is probably a, probably smart from a marketing That's a perspective. Guest you know. Star role. Yeah, exactly. You know, so you know you want to you want to hype up the new heroes, and you know if people are a little excited about Ultron, that's fine. But, you know, you got to get that uh, Quicksilver Scarlet Witch money. Um, um, it, it does make sense, as, as Derek said, as a, a setup film where you, you spend all of your time establishing one character so that in later films you, you have a lot less work to do and a lot more space yeah. to establish the background characters. And actually, uh, Hillary pointed out while we were watching this film that... Uh, she said the same thing about villains and with Loki being the primary exception, and she chalks it up to Joss Whedon being responsible for creating this portrayal of Loki uh, and his general uh, yeah. brilliance or, or, as a or you, filmmaker. You, you could uh, even just chalk it up to the idea of Loki, and we'll talk about this more when we talk about Thor, but Loki being well, yeah. interconnected enough with Thor as a character that... Mm-hmm it was justified in giving him a longer presence in the film. So you had to build it. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I think, I think some of that development certainly makes sense from the fact that, you know, seven years later, it's a little, it maybe seems a little odd to think of Iron Man as not being, you know, a big name superhero. But, you know, mm-hmm. at this point, obviously, you know, it's always been a pet peeve of mine how much how much origin story we get put into a lot of these things because we fucking know where Superman came from. You don't need to tell me where Superman came from. I uh, still kind of like to see it, though, to set the tone for that version of a film, but I can yeah. understand your point. Um, but, uh, you know, so there's a lot more development there uh, that's, you know, necessary. And I think also, you know, uh, it's not only setting up the character, but yeah, it is setting up this studio and... Uh, you know, I'm not, I don't, I think it was around the time the Avengers got, uh, got announced that they really, like, started calling it the MCU. I don't know exactly yeah. when the term came into use, but there was clearly, clearly at least by the time we watched the, the second Thor, uh, not Thor, um, Hulk movie, and, you know, Tony Stark's there again. It's clear that they are got something planned, but it's un, maybe we don't know what they, what that will, what shape that will take. Um, yeah. but, you know, all in all, this is, you know, a really good movie, and, um, I think I was maybe a little bit disappointed because, you know, it, it maybe hasn't aged as well, and, you know, I'm starting to see some of the scenes as we talked about. But, I mean, as I said, when this came out, I think there were a solid good years where I think I would have counted it as my favorite superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just to echo what, what folks have said, it, it's a very good movie. It holds together generally pretty well um the the thing that struck me most when watching it this time is not not even so much from a a narrative perspective but just from a stylistic and sort of structural perspective the way that it sets the template for the films that are going to follow um Mm -hmm. as i mean you you have so at this point let's set aside the insofar as everything we'll set aside the direct sequels in the marvel from here on, you get Iron Man. Uh, we'll call the Incredible Hulk a standalone because functionally it is. Um, yeah. Thor, Captain America, uh, 
Guardians of the Galaxy and soon to be Ant-Man. And structurally, there's, there's a lot of similarity in those films, not just in terms of, oh, they're telling us origin stories, but in the way the films are paced, in the way the antagonists are defined, in the way that this is fairly cliche and, and not original, but each of those films is ultimately, you know, each of these protagonist characters from Tony Stark to Peter Quill becoming a better version of themselves through the relationships they, they form and the, the journeys that they go on and the idea of, you know, that Tony Stark is not a, does not become a great person because he has a suit of iron, but because he changes inside. Captain America is not a strong person because he has a super soldier mm-hmm. formula, but because he has a he is strong inside. That's yeah. What he is. And so that although that that one might be something of of uh, of the exception there, because certainly certainly sort of a major thread of Captain America's characterization is that he he didn't necessarily become a better person. Yeah. He uh, in the way that you know Thor Thor is a jackass at the beginning yeah. of the movie and sort of has to learn to be a hero. Tony Stark's a jackass. Uh, Peter Quill's just a dumb kid that wanders off into a park. Yeah. Stupid kid. Uh, <laughs> oh, your mom died. Go cry in a park. <laughs> Go cry in a park, you stupid kid. You deserve to be abducted. You freaking half alien. I think, Derek, and we, we all talked about this, but I think you, you brought it up first, just the idea of Marvel hit gold with Robert Downey Jr. and the performance he gave insofar as not just the way he defined the character, but the way he defined the terms of the relationship between the character and the audience, and the way he played to the audience. And that, as much as anything, is the defining performance thread through these films going forward. It's the way that that relationship between the protagonist and the audience is formed. So this is, it's not just narratively setting up what's happening from here on, but stylistically, and as, as a template this is setting the stage, and I think when you know Ant Man comes out in a week, we'll see that again. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think it's significant that of all of sort of the main players in Marvel, I think Robert Downey Jr. is going to be the hardest to recast when yeah. you know that day comes. I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna miss you know the various Chris's in those roles because every, every fucking everyone else is fucking named Chris for some reason. Yeah. Uh, but they're all you know reasonably replaceable. Uh, but I think. I, I think honestly, when Robert Downey Jr. walks away from the uh, from the role, which he'll you know inevitably will do someday, uh, there might be a, a you know a fairly reasonable uh, solution is just to kind of retire the character at least for a few years. I'm sure they'll recast him with Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> God damn it! No! <laughs> no! Uh. Uh, yeah, actually, it's a terrible sentence in so many contexts, dude. <laughs> Every context. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, watching this, watching this movie again, I probably haven't seen it in five years, and I saw it in theaters, and I bought it when it came out on DVD, um, and I've I've always really liked it. But what I probably most admire about it this time is the the planning, forethought, and and also restraint that went into the characterization and development of Tony Stark because. One thing that drives me nuts in films that are self-contained, you know, a, a traditional standard film, is when uh, the the character changes over the arc of the film, but you haven't seen enough evidence that their personality was static to really understand what the change means in the life of that character. 
and they mm -hmm. keep Tony Stark essentially the same in his general behavior throughout the film. He, he never changes his, like, uh, the fact that he uses humor as a defense mechanism, mm -hmm. um, or uh, you, you understand that he wants people around him more towards the end of the film, but it's not really evident yet. That's something that's going to change over the course of the next films. Well, part, uh, part, of, part and, of that, though... But he, his thoughts about other aspects of his life have changed, and the desire for peace, but, you part, know. part of that ties into to what Bester was saying and why it's going to be difficult to replace him. You know, the, mm -hmm. the Chris's, um, yeah. for all that they do in the film, you know, the first time anyone saw Chris Hemsworth in anything, it was probably Thor. The first time most people saw Chris Pratt in something and really came to know who he was, it was probably Guardians of the Galaxy. And Chris Evans, even though he'd been around for a while, like Captain America's kind of his defining role at this point. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. had a life before Iron Man that was... You know, he was known for a very particular type of existence. And he comes to the role not just as an older actor, but as an older character. He, you know, he's... Yeah. Mm -hmm. you, you can see the other actors growing into, like, from being boys to men in, in the context mm -hmm. of the film is that they're in. But Robert Downey Jr. enters the film as a man. Like, you can say he's a man-child, but he, is, he uh, is a fully yeah. grown adult who is set in his character and set in his place. And so his yeah. change has to come more slowly, and that's, it's a tougher thing to portray in one film, and it's a tougher thing mm -hmm. to, because he comes to it so well-defined and brings so much of himself to it, it's a tougher thing to replace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, one, one thing I, when, uh, in my summary at the beginning, I was kind of dismissive of the post-credits scene, but I think the post-credits scene is brilliant, uh, and very well done, uh, that the line that Nick Fury has, like, you're, did you think you're the only superhero? You're part of a much larger universe than you realize. Uh, obviously, that's the studio heads at Marvel telling us that big things are coming, and this, you know, it's the first post-credit sequence <laughs> or scene that is connected to other post-credit scenes. Uh, but it, it's, it's... In addition to being attached to the is, first movie that's connected to other movies, but... Is it our first post-credit scene? Have we had it's any other... That is connected that to other yeah. post-credit scenes. But, but what are the other ones? I can't remember. Uh, there's the one at the well, end I mean, of... We've had them in Daredevil and the Fantastic Daredevil, Four movies. Yeah. Like, they've been in a lot of Marvel, Marvel movies. Oh. Um, <laughs> Maybe I didn't sit through the uh, the credits for Fantastic yeah, Four. I don't, I don't, I don't remember. Most of them. Um, I don't remember them. You may not remember it specifically now, but we talked about it at the time, I'm but sure. The, the, right. the other thing about that, though, and the, this, I think, will be a good lead-in yeah. to our next discussion, is there's, Marvel is starting to set up something here that you, you kind of know is going mm -hmm. to culminate in an Avengers film. You don't know where you don't know when. But you know it's going to be a certain number of films from now. And mm -hmm. it's a bet to make bringing that up at this point because Iron Man... Maybe you didn't know it was going to be at the time, but it was a big hit. And if any of the films... Really? Did it make some money? But if any of the films between Iron Man and the conjectured Avengers film at this point is a complete disaster and a flop... Yeah, it's going to... That scene is going to look a little silly. So it's, it's not just a sort of saying, hey, we've got something coming, but it's also in some way a declaration of, and we're going to get there. This is going to yeah. Yeah. Kevin Feige but is confident. We're going to hide this after all of the credits, so that yeah. don't, don't you know it's, it's an Easter egg for yeah. for yeah. real fans. Uh, yeah, it's if, probably if only once they get out. 
Uh, it's really only once they get super confident that they start doing sort of the like yeah. the credits and then the scene mm. and then the end credits. Yeah. Uh, oh. One thing we ne- I don't think any of us <laughs> mentioned. Not getting paid the uh, to change the subject briefly, the score to this. <laughs> yeah. uh, did you guys notice who did the score? No. Uh, uh, Raman, I don't know how you pronounce his last name. Jawadi, the guy who does the music for Game of Thrones now. It's like six hundred uh, million, right? Uh, Derek noticed. Uh, I heard him mumble yeah. it. Oh, okay. Sorry, I didn't hear you, Derek. <laughs> That's uh, why he's getting paid the big bucks. Uh, yeah. Are you getting paid the big bucks? I'm not getting paid the big bucks. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't insane. I've been meaning to talk to you guys about our finances. Uh, Nick, we got to let you go. And <laughs> according, oh, no. to, according to Wikipedia, do you guys know how much money this movie made? Uh, it was like 500 some in the U.S. Right? Yeah, the, the budget was $140 million. Which must have been insanely high at the time, right? I don't know. It's pretty high. I don't know what the average budget was then. Yeah, I don't think that's insane. Yeah, Yeah, I guess it's not as high as like Spider-Man Three, which had already come out. Uh, Yeah, but yeah, it made five hundred eighty-five million. Oh, okay. Domestic, and I bet it's. uh, I don't know if that. It just says box office, so that could be international. (laughs) Some money though. Mm, That that number, I'm pretty sure, is. Okay. Yeah. All right. Wiki- Wikipedia. You guys know more about Wikipedia. Wiki- Wikipedia box office numbers usually just draw domestic. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I don't a... know why, but uh, uh, according to Wikipedia, it was three hundred eighteen in North America, two sixty six. So, really? Uh, yeah. oh, Surprising. Okay. But I mean, you know, th- yeah, th- this was. Yeah. Take that, guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So we. Um. We have. Uh, yeah. We've kicked it off, I guess. Now, like. There's no bad films to watch from this point on. Never again. Our next film is The Incredible Hulk.